Hello and welcome to episode one of Decoding Devs, a podcast about the amazing show on FX Hulu, Devs. I'm your host, Michelle, and with me across the table is my son, Colin. Hello, everybody. A little bit about us. We are a mother-son podcasting duo. Yes. We are a duo. We are well-versed in the podcast realm. Well, I don't know about well-versed. <laughs> We're semi-versed. Okay, yeah. We um, Our first podcast is called Unknown Regions Podcast. If you are a Star Wars fan, you can check that out on your normal platforms, wherever your podcasts are found. Yep. But then somewhere around the beginning of March, I watched a little pilot episode <laughs> uh, called Devs. A wee, a wee pilot. I think I texted you. I could probably find it. Almost. <laughs> you probably. It wasn't that long ago. I think it was yeah. the beginning of March when this started. Let me see if I can find it. And something to the effect of, I have found your new favorite show. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's exactly it. And Colin was, um, is, a, is a college student. Why don't you, why don't you actually oh, yeah. talk about yourself so yeah. I don't sound like I mean, yeah. Tiger Mom over here talking about you. Tiger Mom? Tiger Mom? Is that a reference to... No. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, well, um, yeah, my name is Colin Whitlick. I am my mother's son. I love saying that. It's funny. Um, I currently attend DePaul University in the city of Chicago, Illinois. And Wow, you're being so thorough. I don't know. I'm just talking like I talk. Um, but <laughs> I'm currently majoring in uh, music, classical music composition. Um as well as sound recording technology, a recent change from my previous double major, which was um, neuroscience studies. So, so, all that to say, he's pretty busy. Yeah, a little bit. Normally, would be pretty busy at DePaul. Um, but because of the uh, current world pandemic situation, he's yep. come back home and he's moved back in. And um, we basically do nothing other than, well, when he's not working. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> he's back in classes now, but it's all virtual classes. Um, or online or whatever. Um, other than that, when he's not gaming, we're yeah. talking about either devs or Star Wars. That's yeah. about it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then we podcast about it. So yeah. um, we decided that this show is so, it's such a masterpiece of science fiction. Indeed. And philosophy and music. I mean, just like, art. You name it. Just art. That we have to podcast about it. We just have to. It is. And not nearly enough people are watching this show. I'm screaming Every time. Every day. <laughs> from every social media platform I have yep. access to. Please, please, would you please watch the show? It is perfection. It's very good. It's so good. Um, but I also thought, because there there's so much going on in the show, it's a perfect thing to podcast about because we will do these episodes so that at some point when everybody does decide to listen to me and watch this <laughs> and they will i'm sure people they can will. have a little companion piece to go with the episodes as they're watching them as of right now i don't even know what the date is it's the, the 11th <clears throat> excuse me it's april 11th yep um there's one more episode left <laughs> to drop on Hulu. Yeah. And um, so it's a weird time to start this podcast, but that's kind of how we roll. Right. <laughs> we started. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting over a whooping cough. 
I yeah. don't have corona. Don't be, <laughs> oh don't be worried. Yeah, our basement's also... We're in our basement. It's pretty dry. It's dusty and so, dry down here, so I apologize. Um, anyway, um, we started this podcast really late in the game, but we did the same thing. We started our Star Wars podcast like three weeks before Rise of Skywalker came out. So. I mean, if you put it into perspective, we started our Star Wars podcast like 40 years after Star Wars came out. That's true. So. <laughs> this appears to be how... We manage our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is really weird, to be honest. But but this is going to be a finite project. Like, there's eight episodes, and I'm kind of thinking we're going to do um, two devs episodes per podcast episode. Yeah. So there should be, if we do this right... Four episodes? Let me do this very difficult math. Huge disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad at math. Um, four de- decoding devs episodes. That's correct. Yes. Eight divided by two. Eight divided by two is four. Yes. I'm proud of myself. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, just briefly, Mr. Alex Garland. Yeah. Writer-director mm-hmm. of this program. Is he not a producer as well? I think he is, but okay. just okay. creatively speaking, he wrote it and he directed it. Yeah. More importantly, he wrote it and directed it. What? (laughs) More importantly, wrote it and directed it. Yes. (laughs) I really, really like a writer-director. Like, that is really, really... Yeah, it's cool. To me, I love people who are that deeply creative that they not only write their own material, but they are so possessive of it that they must also then direct it. There are a lot of people coming out of the woodwork like that right now, like uh, Jordan Peele, um, uh, Noah Hawley. Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson. Yeah, yeah. I I love me an auteur, <laughs> yes. writer director. Yep. And I had seen his other two films, or I should say his two films, mm-hmm. um, uh, Ex Machina and Annihilation, both excellent sci-fi films. Mm. Um, and then when I was kind of researching a little bit about the show, I found out he was also a novelist. He was a novelist prior to making those films. Mm-hmm. So the dude. He's been around. <laughs> he's he's, he's art, artistic AF, basically. So um, the other thing I found out reading about the show is that he, although he made these two movies and they turned out very well, he was not a fan of the movie-making process. Yeah. That it got bogged down in red tape and distribution BS. Honestly, I don't blame him. I've always thought about that. Honestly. Uh, I mean, I think it's a big problem. That's kind of why we see the movies we see, and maybe the quality isn't the greatest all the time because of all of that stuff. So, um... Yeah, there's still, like, remnants of the studio empire, the filmmaking studio empire back yeah. back when that was a main thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, again, I don't blame him. He, he's too creative to be bogged he's down by that exactly. type of stuff, man. There's no way. Exactly. Yeah. So, I guess at some point he just approached to uh you know hulu or maybe other other places as well with this idea or fx but with this idea for this long-form storytelling tv show like Mm. it contained this is it eight episodes there's not going to be a season two here's the story sick and they gave him a bag of money and said go do your thing and apparently this was his vision start to finish no you know he wasn't told you can't do this you can't do that he brought his team of people with him yeah that he worked on films oh yeah 
director of photography, oh, Rob Hardy. My boy. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into all that. Ooh, okay. We basically sit there watching the show. Just we want to. If it was a bowl of soup, we would lay our faces in it. It's just that satisfying and delicious to watch. I was talking to my girlfriend, and I was like. Because right now I'm getting my girlfriend forcibly, hello Felicity, I'm getting her to watch <laughs> devs. Even though, like... You make her watch so much stuff. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> watch all the Star fun. Wars films now! I mean, it's just fun. <laughs> but, I mean, after watching the most recent episode, I literally, I, I like, just, just sitting there for a second, and I texted Felicity, and I'm like, y'all, you ever see, like, a piece of art that's so good that it's just, like... You wonder, like, if you're really worthy to see this and if you should stop. Exactly. That's, that's what, what this show is. That's Every what episode. It, feels like. it just gets better, too, which is crazy. Normally, shows I feel like have, like, a dead pocket in the middle of a season. That's just, like, how I feel about, like, dramas and sci fi mm-hmm. te- television series. But this is, like, it has been getting better. Every episode. It says something about a closed arc. Oh, yeah, totally. This is the story. Yeah, it's cool. It's not going to go on after this. Mm-hmm. This is it. And this is how I want to do it. And this is how I wrote it. Yeah. And it's like, so far, there's only one episode left. And it, it's as close to a perfect season of Man. television as <laughs> I have ever seen. Man, it's facts. I mean, uh, Fleabag, I would say, was a perfect season of I television. I have seen that. But, but that's a comedy. It's a totally different thing. But doesn't matter. Do comedy, but it, yeah, it was darn near perfect. But this is perfect so far. We'll uh, see. Yeah, what we'll the, see. Listen, listen. The finale brings. Yeah. But. So I think I don't want to bring up Legion too much in this one. Oh yeah, we love Legion too. Yeah. Legion was kind of personally my first experience with a tel- with a, as you say, closed arc. That's what you use the word, right? It was three seasons, but it was. I'm pretty sure he had it all finished before yeah it was all put Noah Hawley is an otter also he knows beast. what he's doing but uh he um wait what oh dang it what was i going to say um legion. With, yeah i know so oh yeah so legion was kind of like the first experience of mine that was in like me delving into like a show that is way deeper than the surface value plot you know what I mean? Like, it's vi- the visuals, the cinematography. Like, that was the first time I actually ever took into account every aspect of, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, direction. The music. Yeah. yeah. The and how it all design. works. Importantly, how it all works together. Yes. To create, like, this literal painting. It's almost like a painting, just in a very extended amount of time. You know what I mean? How it's just all there. It's extremely visual. Yeah. And this show is like that, but everything matters. Everything matters. I've never seen a show or a film or a miniseries or anything that came to the extent of, or that has come to the extent of this show showing us that, like, everything that you are going to see matters. Where it's placed matters in the show and in the in the episode even. Like, wh- when it's dark or light outside, that's important. I have compared it to Lost in oh, that yeah. the the easter egg ability yeah 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 of what's going on on the screen i i don't think lost approached visually the artistry of this show but bro it's all in the but jungle but lost was like you weren't <laughs> you were uh, a very young child when lost was actually on tv so you didn't have that experience of the week to week 
and the going online yeah. and the researching. Oh my God, I saw that book and that shot. It must mean something, and it did. Was that kind of the first time that that had ever happened with TV, or in my experience, yes. Well, maybe Twin Peaks, but but Twin Peaks didn't really do that. Twin Peaks was just a mind f. Yeah, cutting edge type of thing. And David than... Lynch, like David Lynch, really doesn't do the Easter egg thing. He just does the visually wackadoo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, what? He's just into that. He's got. He's into that he's into transcendentalist a... vibe. It's like visceral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah His yeah. things are visceral. Whereas Lost was. Literally, like, there's a book on the shelf. They focused on it. It's got to yeah. mean something. Let's all research what that book is for the next week, and then yeah. we'll understand the story better, you know? Yeah. And he has taken... Alex Garland has taken it, and he's doing that, but he's doing it... It's off. almost part of the narrative. It's insane. It is part of the narrative. Like, yeah. If you're going to take the time... Mm-hmm to look up what this opening song is you're going to find out that it was chosen specifically specifically for a reason yeah and books and and the books that the characters are reading and the costumes they're wearing and the colors <laughs> and the colors that they're using in yeah. the cinematography like their earrings the ear <laughs> their jewelry yes so anyway that's what i'm saying like this show is like a painting everything that you see is important. Where it's put is important. The color, even, you know, mm -hmm. dimensions, what material it's made out of. Like, just like everything is so meticulous. It's very contemporary in that way. And I was I was also going to build off of what you were saying about Lost. You said something. You were talking about how... Um, the Easter eggs. Yeah. You were talking about something within that conversation. What You said something that, like, triggered me. I don't know. The books? Maybe after that, when you brought it up? I don't know. Dang it. Um, I'm senile. You know I say th I say something in ten minutes later. Yeah, I but I was going to say it, but I didn't want to interrupt. You should take notes over there. Like, write things down. <laughs> While we talk. Well, okay. I, I honestly can't remember what I was going to say. Okay. But. Well, let's, let's start talking about the first episode. Because it is extremely dense with information. Yeah. And, um... I love a show that knows exactly what, what it's trying to say and where exactly where it's going, mm -hmm. how it's going to end, and then that information feeds sometimes the very first scene of the very first episode of the show. Like back unto itself. Yes. Like a cycle. Like a circle. Like a circle. Important. Uh, an unbroken circle. Right. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Can I bring it up? I'm sorry. Last thing. Yes. So you say how like... If there's a book on the shelf, people are going to be like, they spent the time to show us that. That means it's important. After taking, in school, because I am a student, after taking a class in film, uh, um, in cinema, I've, I've come to the realization that, like, everything that you see costs money to put there. Mm -hmm. A lot of money to put there. So it's like, they wouldn't just put that there because they need to spend money on it. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they are spending money that their company gives them to spend to make the show good. So that's something Alex Garland does. That's like he probably did not have I do you know how much was it was in his budget? I have no idea. No. I would actually be this very is, interested. This is an expensive show. It's got But be. what if it isn't though? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It looks expensive. Maybe the camera's pretty good. Maybe No, I'm talking about like 
the first of all there i know there's definitely cgi going on so th- that's there, yeah i guess that is the expensive. whole lab itself looks like yeah it was pretty expensive yeah um the only the one thing it's got going for it is the cast like there's only one really really well-known cast member that i'm sure they had to you know pay him very well sure. and me but maybe the rest of the cast they got as a bargain <laughs> i mean yeah but you know what but i mean to me, it looks expensive like you can tell just out of the meticulous meticulity is that a word meticulousness whatever <laughs> you can just tell through the meticulousness that it's so economic and how it's like how everything works together and how like he's painting pictures with the scene with the shots that you see that totally. you witness that you are witnessing rather than seeing totally he's the word witness this is like we're unworthy, <laughs> but like it's fine. And anyway, the, the other thing we're gonna try to do is we, have, like I said, we've seen all the way up through episode seven at this point. Um, so we're trying to just go episode by episode, like I said, just so you could have a companion podcast to go along with the show as you watch it. Uh, and I apologize in advance if a spoiler slips through. We will, we're gonna try our very, very hardest. To not let that happen and edit out anything that might be spoiling it later down the road. So, but please don't, uh, please forgive us if it's a little something, something happens yeah. to slip through because we're trying our, our hardest. We're trying our hardest, but that's our disclaimer. Okay. Okay. So episode one, they do not, the episodes do not have titles. They're just episode one, episode two, episode three. Again, uh, very yeah. economical. Yeah. Um, but anyway... Let's talk about just Very main minimalist. characters. First off, yeah, we have Forrest. <laughs> and is he the actor who you were saying was? That's Nick Offerman. Okay, that's the one Nick that you Offerman. think the star actor. Yeah, he's okay. very pretty well known. Okay, but I know he has a last name. I remember hearing the last name, but I couldn't find it when I was researching. So huh. we're just gonna call him Forrest. Dang it! Well, that's probably important. Isn't it? <laughs> they well, said it. I don't know. His first name's pretty important. Maybe his last name yeah. is pretty important. <laughs> okay. Um, he is the owner of this tech company yep. called Amaya. Uh, he has kind of a right hand person. Her name is Katie. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, I didn't write down the cast names. Sorry. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Should I pull it um, up? Or. Um, you could if you yeah, want to on, on your phone. Oh yeah. Um, and then kind of the I would say the protagonist of the piece is Lily Chan, and her boyfriend, whom she lives with, his name is Sergey Pavlov. Hmm. <laughs> they really made Bruh. the point to, for us to know his last name is Pavlov. Indeed. It is. His uh, last name. Allison Phil is Katie. What? Katie. Allison Pill. That's right. Allison Pill yeah. plays Katie. Give me the list so I can just read it. Oh, sure. Um, sorry about that. So Lily Chan is played by Sonoya Mizuno. And um, some other people in the cast that we meet. Do we meet the rest of the team? I guess they show them. Yeah, briefly. Um, Lyndon hmm. and Stuart work in devs on the devs project right and then there's kenton who is the head of security for the company right and i mentioned that the name of the company is amaya mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> actually becomes the company itself 
a very important character in the show. Right. Do we, we probably shouldn't. No. Okay. So cool. we're just going to leave that at that for now. Are we going to talk about devs? Like devs? the actual devs? Um, devs is just the name of the, um... It's like a branch. It's a branch of Amaya where they, it's, it's a development. Yeah. Department. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we know. Yeah. <laughs> for the time being. Yes. That's, but it's top secret. Like, nobody knows what goes on in devs. The employees are not allowed to talk about devs. It's like Fight Club. It is, honestly. It's honestly like Fight Club. You yeah. don't talk about I didn't Fight think Club. About that. Rule two, you don't talk about Fight Club. Yeah. Okay. You don't talk about devs. Yeah. You just go in, you go to work, you do your thing, you go home. Nobody knows what you're doing. Nobody's allowed to ask. That's that. Top right. secret. Right. Okay. So this first episode opens with a musical montage. Yeah. Of various images. And the piece of music, which I originally thought was a score to the show. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I mean, it sounds like it's a score. It it's really does so sound crazy. like it would be a score. Yeah. It's um, actually a, in Latin anyway, the Latin title is yeah. Regnantum Sympaterna. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> which in Latin means what? Um... Yeah, sorry. I I have notes written here, so I might be scrolling for a few seconds in between talking. Um, it translates to um, rain over, Re like R E I G N over, kind okay. of. Okay. It's like a, that's like a rough translation. Google Translate isn't really great at translating Latin. And so. it is, it, it's Latin because it was used in Catholic mass. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And basically what I found out was they would typically use this piece of music. Uh, it's a chant. It's a plain chant. Plain chant. Said. It's not a Gregorian chant, which is what I was calling it. But I, it's good to have a music major at your disposal <laughs> sometimes. He's like, no, no, no. It's actually a plain chant, which came before a Gregorian chant. And it's more sim it's more simplistic well, musically. At least we think it did. You know, it's so far back that historians believe that plain chant was the first thing to be recorded handwritten okay. rather than Gregorian chant. Okay. So, um, from my very basic research that I did online, yeah, this was apparently used quite a bit, uh, specifically and very specifically the second Sunday of Advent. So if you're not Catholic and you don't know what Advent is, Advent is the, uh, includes the four weeks prior to Christmas. So it is a time of... Repent, essentially. Uh, well, you're waiting yeah. for Christ to be born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. at the time that this was used popularly, it was at the turn of the millennium, yep. uh, around the 900s and 1000. Yes. Because during that time, it was kind of like... It was kind of like when we were having Y2K. People were real paranoid you, about the turn of the millennium being like okay. the end of the world, basically. You were talking to me about Y2K. What does that mean? Oh, my God. You're so young. He was born in Y2K, everybody. Why does, what is Y2K? That's year, what, year 2000? Year 2000. Oh, okay. And when that was happening, people thought... The computers were going to take over the, the world. The computers were going to all crash. No. Oh, they Because when they coded the computers originally, they didn't... They didn't think about oh. the fact that the one was someday going to turn into a two. That's fascinating, man. It was so crazy. That's so weird. That they didn't think about that. But Honestly, um, man. But anyway, 
it kind of was the same thing when this chant was being used because everybody just thought, well, oh my gosh, it's the year 1000. Something significant is going to happen. It's probably the end of the world. It's probably the second coming of Christ. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We got to be ready for that. So this chant, Regnantum Sempiterna, is all about waiting for Christ to come. Yeah. Which plays along with Advent as well. So um, anyway... Why don't you talk about, like, this particular recording? It's by... Yeah, um, yeah I got it. The Hilliard Ensemble. Yep. Soloist. Yeah, so... Jan Garbarek. Yeah, okay, so now... You, you said a lot that I was going to say, oh, so sorry. now I'm going to go through this. Um, sorry, give me one second. You might want to keep talking while I look for it, if you want. Okay, okay, yeah, so this is just kind of, like, the chronology of it. It's, like, the piece itself. Like, how it plays into the episode. So, like... But careful of spoilers. I know. I'm not spoiling. Okay. So, <laughs> essentially, it... the Like like my mom said, the show opens up with honest, with a blank screen, and you just hear this... These male voices, I believe. Male... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Male, male voices, tender voices, kind of singing in organum, which is the old Latin form of polyphony, or harmony. Harmony, you know. Um, so, they're singing together... And this plays all throughout the opening montage of the first episode and does not cease until the montage is over. So it plays all the way throughout the montage. Um, when it ends, I believe, is significant. Should I say when it ends within mm-hmm. the actual body of the episode? Would that yeah, be but what about the saxophone? You know, I'm getting to that oh, okay. in a second. Um, but So the music ends right when we see our protagonist. Can I call her that? Lily? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the protagonist is like staring out this window in her bedroom, and then Sergey, who is with Lily, um, they're not married though, right? They live together, but they're not married. They live together, and then Sergey kind of sits up and he's like, "Good morning, baby." That's what he says. That's and, when the music comes. And cuts. that's where this piece of music stops. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess I'll just read this because I I took very good notes. Good. So this particular arrangement. Um, the arrangement that we were hearing in the episode was arranged by jazz composer and saxophonist. I don't want to pronounce his name wrong, but I'm going to try. Uh, Jan Jan Garberek? Sorry. Butchering! My brain just switched. It's Jan spelled like Jan, so I don't know if it's pronounced Jan or Jan, but the last name is Garbarek, G-A-R-B-A-R-E-K, and apparently yes. he's like big... Jazz. He, he's big cheese in... Yeah. In jazz saxophone. Yes. Um, I already said about the organum. So, when you hear it, you hear these voices, right? They're kind of singing together. And that is from the Regnantum Sempiterna way back when. Yes. The voices. that that Because, you know, back then they'd only had singing. That's really. the plain chant from that is the, plain the 900s chant. or whatever. Yes. yes. Assuming it wasn't changed for this recording. I'm, I doubt it was. But over this... I actually have those lyrics. I can read them when you're done talking. Oh, sure. Over this organum, there's this occasional saxophone, and I believe it's a soprano saxophone because of how high it reaches. But there's this saxophone that is being played by, I can only assume, Jan Garbarek, and he is, like, really hitting it, like, loud and shocking, actually. When you watch the episode, it's almost like that saxophone is used as, like, a jump scare. It's very dissonant, too. It's very dissonant against the very consonant fourths and fifths and major seconds sung in the organum. It's very, it's like an additional layer 
in that way and to by, the music itself. And for people who aren't familiar oh, with musical go, terms. Yeah, let me. Okay. So in music, there are these things called. It's funny. We're just talking about this at school. There are these things called overtones. Um, which are variations of frequencies, if anyone, you know, frequencies, um, above a particular fundamental frequency or pitch, such as the pitch of C or the pitch of D or E on a piano. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Overtones exist above this fundamental pitch. So physically speaking, um, the first overtone above a C would be the octave above it, which is the next C. Then the second overtone would then be a fifth above that, which would be G. And then you go up to the next C, and then you go up a a third, and it kind of keeps going up like this, um, all the way up into the the ad infinitum, right? Mm -hmm. So this piece really features the most, the lowest pitches on the overtone in the overtone series, which is like I said, the octave, the fifth. There's a fourth in there. There's a third in there, right? Um, these are the intervals that like we think are pretty <laughs> and like natural to our ears, like mm-hmm. because it's honestly natural in nature. That's why it sounds so nice to mm-hmm. us. Um, very boring though if it's only that, which is why amazing <laughs> composers came around. No, 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 no. But it's actually interesting enough. Probably during this time, I'm I. I don't want my music history teacher to hear this because I might totally be butchering this. But I believe at the time Regnantum Sempaterna was written and composed and performed, back then there were actual rules, like state rules, not just religion, not just musical guidelines, quote-unquote, actual legit rules you could be killed over if you wrote music using certain intervals. Because they were evil. Because they were holy. Well, no, I'm saying other intervals could be considered, like, what's, isn't there the devil's There interval? is, yeah, like, the devil's interval, which is the tritone, which lies between the perfect fourth and the perfect fifth. You get this really, I should have a keyboard out, but oh, you, you really get this crunch. The crunch is what they were not about because that resembled dissonance rather than consonance. Consonance was holy, dissonance was unholy. Okay. So cool. the Catholic Church was trying to completely abolish this. So this chant is very holy. Very holy, and then this dude comes around and is just like, with like his just, saxophone and just messes it he up. He messes it up. I mean, it's stylistically messed up, but it's really cool. And I, we're not playing it, are we? No, but okay. again, you're. Wa- I only think you'd be listening to this podcast if you're actually watching the show. So you're going to hear it on the in the opening and, as geniuses would have it, in the closing of the show as well, I believe. This yeah, episode. yeah, you do. Um, So let me read. There's just, one more thing, though. Oh, sorry. I thought you were done. I'm <laughs> no, sorry. No, I'm not done. So when I was when I listened to these pieces that are kind of um, that are not originally composed for the soundtrack, like this piece that we're talking about, I'll kind of sit there and I'll think about why was that piece used, you know, <laughs> obviously. And I just think as a personal note, uh, I think that the, it's really interesting to think about this relationship between consonants and dissonance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, consonants. No I'm not spoiling. Okay. Consonants being <laughs> this underlying just. Oh, like very, just like very nice and very spiritual. Mm-hmm. And then this disturbing stabbing sound, just like, like totally a whale. It's overruling. almost like a whale. It, it starts exactly. like a whale. So, Not like W-H-A-L-E, but a W-A-L-E. <laughs> no, it's like... Like a, like a <laughs> no. woman's wailing. Right. So we were just talking about how this piece was written because people were scared of the coming of Christ and the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I think it would be right to say that that saxophone is kind of an additional... like. In addition to that vision 
of like someone literally screaming to the heavens and there's even in this montage sequence people screaming to the heavens Mm -hmm. so i just it's perfect perfect. (laughs) it perfectly fits and again we thought it was part of the score we did not know this was actually what it is like we found out later through research that it's actually from (laughs) a mass yeah way back when yeah but let me just read the literal translation oh sure of the chant oh yeah i actually don't know it so um i apologize for my voice also what it's just always coming in and i'm not oh i have moments where my voice just gives out with it's fine excuse me uh so it started with an alleluia they Mm -hmm. don't sing the alleluia in this which is telling i wonder if they do at some point I don't think they do. I don't think they ever use no, like, the Alleluia. In the last episode. Oh, maybe we'll see. Do you think he's going to... Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Excuse no me. No, no, no. One. It's not a spoiler. Do you think he's going to bring it back? Oh, this piece? Yeah. He has to. I don't know. Maybe. He has to do Okay. It. So, no Alleluia, but that's in the original. To him who shall reign through all the ages to come, devoutly, O people assemble, make sounds of praise. Give the creator his due with divine sound. Let the hosts of heaven rejoice with him, by Ah. whose countenance they are all made glad. Let all earthly things look for his coming, by whose nod they will be judged, severe in his verdicts, mighty in his mercy. O Christ, in your mercy, save us, for whose sake you suffered terrible things. To the shining stars of the sky take us up, you who wash the world from its vileness. Flow into us true healing, put to flight every peril. O peacemaker, grant that all things may be made clean and lovely, that we, saved by your mildness of heart, may go in joy to the realms above, where you shall reign through endless ages. That is one interpretation. It's obviously... Yeah, lands whack. You can do... <laughs> there, I found a few. They were all extremely similar. And it's... there were probably different lyrics for this piece back then. They just sung what they wanted. It's not really... Honestly, the lyrics matched the lyrics that I found. Like, the, the Latin. Oh, really? Matched, yes. Oh, dang. Okay, so yeah, maybe it was at that period where, yeah, like, written Yeah, that's why I was like, oh my god, it literally matches that's cool. word for word. Okay. Cool. But it is about... The coming of Christ. The coming of Christ. But I find it interesting... <clears throat> I didn't... Was the word consonants in that? Did I hear the no. word consonants? I don't think or, so. Or sound? Sound, Something about, like, yes. holy sound. That's what um, I'm saying with this, like, consonants, and then he chose to write this. He could have easily written something that went along with that consonants, like the, the saxophone player could have, but he chooses to totally break what was happening with this. And that's why it sounds so cool. I know, dude. It's so cool. Yeah. Film nerd. Film, film score nerd. Oh, yeah. For people who, like, want to get to know us a little bit, um, I'm into film scores a lot, and I actually hope to one day be a film score composer, so... I really look into this kind of stuff, I guess. Clearly, he really looks into yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. He knows a lot more than I do, that's for sure. Okay, why don't we talk about um, yes, the opening montage, really. Okay. Like the images that they show us. Um, I'll just read down. It starts with Forrest, the character, standing in the forest, yeah. the noun, in the dark. And then we get... Um, a shot of a monolithic, and I use that word purposefully. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, a monolithic tall thi- beam, almost, with a child's face on it. But yeah. that's 
in the daytime. It is. Um, <clears throat> it has a child's face on it. Did I say that? Yeah. Then it cuts to a park during the day. Yep. Um, and we are in San Francisco, by the way. That's where this kind of takes place. Yep. Then it cuts to uh, another gold monolithic looking pillar outside uh, of the company. On right. The, on the campus of the company. Yeah. That upright pillar. Editing bars. The very next shot is the Golden Gate Bridge. So that pillar almost... It's juxtaposed it's, parallel it's, visually. It's exactly visually parallels to the tall structure of the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. Oh, you didn't really mention either. The shot with Forrest standing in the forest. So it kind of zooms in a little slowly onto him, mm -hmm. his face. And then it, when it cuts to the image of the, of the child, the child is like where he was standing in the frame. So it like kind of just like edits right on top of each other like that. It's so well edited that I actually Dude. thought until I realized, oh no, I'm wrong. Um, I actually thought Forrest was looking at. Yeah, and I had to be like, no, and dude. I was like, no, because it's <laughs> nighttime and then daytime. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. He's I had to say that. I had to say that like three times before you were like, wait. I was so confused. <laughs> but that's how well it is. It yeah. really, I think that is the kind of what they're getting at. They. You think they're trying to get that effect? What time is relative? Thinking about no, like he oh, thinks oh, about. Of course. Her so much that that's what's. Of course, yeah. Be but careful. they did it too well because then I was confused. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, so then we have a beautiful cityscape. Yeah. Of San Francisco, bathed in the bathed in this um, hazy morning light, yeah. which is beautiful. And there's just like a beam of a shadow. That's yeah. Just like so cool over the city, and also the the tall skyscraper, then edits upon the Golden Gate Bridge. That's true. There is another edit. That Swag. aligns the Golden Gate Bridge with that tallest building that I don't know the name of it because I don't live there. But um, it's kind of a so this is like a film nerd thing. It's kind of like a variation on what Kubrick Stanley Kubrick did does, or he didn't do the editing. I don't think of The Shining. Someone else did that. I'm sure he did not. But sure the way did. The Shining is edited, a lot of there there are a lot of edits where it's like a phase over mm -hmm. edit. If you can kind of mm -hmm. like picture this. Oh, the bone into the spaceship. Well, no, but that's that's not the same kind of edit, though. Because that edit, it just cuts, like, right to the ship. I'm talking about in The Shining how there are, like, these phasing. But, yeah, I guess that's another way of putting it. These edits are exactly like the bone turning into the ship like that. Because that's how to as it. we will find out very quickly when you're watching this, this dude prays <laughs> and is a full standing member of the Church of Stanley Kubrick filmmaking. <laughs> yes. There is, I, I saw a tweet the other day, Alex Garland, what does it say? Alex Garland oh, yeah. is out Kubricking Kubrick. <laughs> I don't know that he's out Kubricking. I doubt him, it. But oh my God, is there so much Kubrick in this guy's yeah, visual style? But anyway, um, so the next cut is to uh, a, a gentleman that we will find out later has a connection to Lillian Sergey. Mm. And he's just kind of. Doing his morning exercises or he's something. Doing like weird yoga. It's like angry he's yoga. He's stretching <laughs> and he's just like get, doing his morning constitution. Um, and then it cuts to this same little girl, but now it's uh 
like footage of her. Yeah, try explaining this. <laughs> it's very hard to explain, but there are three screens yep. separated yep. by e- some space. Equidistant. Like a couple of feet of space in between each screen. Symmetrical. The, the first screen, yeah, symmetrical. The first screen is like the back of her head. The middle screen is like... Her ear, right? And it's her profile, by the way. So it's like the back of her head on the first screen, most of her face on the second screen, and then you see maybe just her lips and she is blowing a a dandelion. dandelion. Yep. The moon type of a dandelion that flies, you know, like you blow it and make a wish, that type of dandelion, Mm. not the yellow one. Oh, (laughs) yeah. And then immediately after that, we cut back to forest in the forest again. Right. But... The lights suddenly turn on. Yeah. And you see these. They're not redwoods, but they're like. They're tall trees. They're redwood-esque. Right, totally. Straight up tall trunks of trees. And they have these light halo lights going around them. It's so cool looking. Yeah. And you immediately are like, what's this about? (laughs) What is this? They look like halos. Yeah. And it's also a, a close-up. Did you say it's a close-up of Forrest's face? It's a major close-up of Forrest's face, yeah. And then right when the lights turn on, I mentioned how the saxophone in, in this score in this composition is used as kind of like a jump scare device. It is. Like, the lights turn on and you hear, just as the saxophone it's like, whoa. wails up really high again. Yeah. It's so well done. Oh, my God. it's That's all the, editing, though. The greatest montage That's ever. all editing, homie. Um, so and good. then that cuts immediately to our opening title card, which is always just says devs. And in the background, you see a very blurry golden something or other. Rotating. Rotating, it's... moving, like part of a machine of some sort. But it's very blurry. It's you can't very really make blurry. it out. Yeah. Um, and then it cuts to Brightness. a very backlit, out of focus person. Is it backlit? Oh, yeah, it's very back. It is, because she's walking yeah, 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 through yeah, totally. the window. Yeah, yeah totally. But yeah. it's so blurry, you can't very. even tell. Is it a man? Is it a woman? It almost just looks like a black stick figure. It kind of looks like an alien. It kind of <laughs> looks like an alien, exactly. It's yeah. very hard to tell what it is. But eventually, it comes into focus, and we see our protagonist, Lily Chan. Yeah. And her profile, uh, facing her bedroom window, staring out the window, looking a little melancholy, I would say. No, 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 she's looking like, I would not say melancholy. I, I would say felt... blissful, actually. Really? Yeah. She I... looks like she just got up in the morning and she's ready to start the day. Ah, she looks a little bummed to me. I figured I something was so. wrong because she was looking kind of bummed. I didn't think that, but okay. I mean, maybe it was. she's a blank canvas and we're supposed to, maybe we're just projecting things onto her. Maybe. Are we supposed to, oh, maybe that's why it's so backlit. It's like totally white. There's like nothing, no color. Maybe. It's kind of a metaphor. It's a projection of whatever we think is going on. Do you... Okay, should we bring up her earrings, too? <laughs> I know it's so dumb. She does like... have the same dang earrings in... Every episode. The Every scene. whole show. Um, little round studs, and then up higher on her earlobe is a little vertical, or almost... Well, it looks like a... Like straight, rectangular... A straight line. It looks like a little yeah. part of a straight line. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk about Seem that. Seem to later. be discussed. <laughs> okay, so Sergey is her boyfriend, and he is also in the bedroom, just waking up. Yep. And we get a shot of their nightstand. Oh. <laughs> On their <laughs> nightstand are two books. 
this is okay. I need to preface when my mom and I figured out that this was what was happening in the. So we had already been. I think we had already watched episode six. I think right. I think so. And we decided, bruh, we gotta go back. <laughs> we need to watch this again. Mm-hmm. We are missing so much. We have to be. So we go back and we watch, obviously, episode one again when we restart the whole season. And this is what we noticed, and we freaked out. And this was the moment, I think, where my mom was like, we need to do a podcast. Because <laughs> yeah. like, there's stuff going anyway, on in this story. We won't spoil it, but as well, these episodes go, as the episodes go on, y'all will understand. Anyway, continue. All right. I don't know why I don't have a signal right now. Oh, yeah. The wi- the really Wi-Fi's bad time to not have a signal because I need to look. I don't want to get these two books messed up. But the first one is called Will You Please Be Quiet, Please? That's the name of the book. Yeah. <laughs> and the second one is called The Book of Illusion. Yes. Uh, why don't you talk about briefly Will You Please Be Quiet, Please? Okay. So I've never personally read the book. or, But essentially what it is is um, a collection of short stories. Um, and each story is... Each story is kind of framed in a minimalistic narrative sort of way in that every story is a story pertaining to a mundane life of somebody. Um, I think there was one about like a woman putting her shoes on to go to work, a man watching a duck in a pond, like, like these very simple stories, but there's nothing really provided that's very metaphorical. It's just very, very there, very presented, very uninterpretive. It's presented in such a way that allows you to interpret I think maybe invert your own or uh, insert your own emotions in the story, which I I think that's the point of them. But honestly, I'm just, that's just me. That's, there's no point to say, but. And it's by Raymond Carver is the author. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know the author's name. I couldn't remember it either. I just had to look it up. Um, Um, But but the second one. Yeah. I don't really remember the second one. So you can go. It's called the book of illusions by Paul Oster. Yeah. And all I'm going to say about it, because I'm just not going to say anything else right now, is that it is, um, I'll just read from this website. Six months after losing his wife and two young sons, Vermont professor (laughs) David Zimmer spends his waking hours mired in a blur of alcoholic grief and (laughs) self-pity. Nice. (laughs) One night, he stumbles upon a clip from a lost film by a silent comedian. His interest has peaked and soon finds himself embarking on a journey around the world to research a book on this mysterious figure who vanished from sight. In 1929. So, um, yeah, that's what that book's about. But importantly <laughs> enough, I think I can say this. What? The book, so, Will You, Cle- Will you Please Be Quiet, Please, is located on, these two books are located on the nightstand next to Sergei when he's in bed. Um, and the camera kind of, the camera kind of shifts to the left so that the our view of the books kind of come into fruition vaguely. Like the, the bottom, the uh, the book of illusion—that's what's called, right? Yes. Is blurry. You really can, and it's it's also covered by a glass. Yeah, like, it was you very hard to see the title of that book. But actually. you can clearly see the one that is. Will, will you please be quiet, please? Will you please be quiet, please? Is located on top of the book of illusion on the desk. And I know y'all are going to be like, why did you just spend an a-, a minute and a half talking about that little thing? <laughs> but it's important to us and keep that in mind. Okay. Is it safe to say that? Yeah. We have to talk about that <laughs> later. It's safe to say that. Okay. Um it's so hard to talk about this show. 
without I know. <laughs> spoiling. I know. That's why I wish we had started this right away, but who knew that this show was going to be like the best show of the last five years? We didn't know. Honestly. Who best knew? show ever? More like? Of the last five years. Please. You think it's the best show ever? Don't don't you tell me Lost is better than this. I love Lost. I have an emotion. It will hold a special place in your heart, but analytically speaking, bro, pull my shades I- down. <laughs> <laughs> Bruv. Can we see the finale first before True. we decide this is the best show that's, ever made? Uh, that's something else I forgot I was going to bring up earlier. So we I discussed Legion. That was something that Legion just didn't it didn't wrap up. In a, hmm. It wrapped up in a good way. It wrapped up, it wrapped up in the best way it could have possibly did. It could have possibly done. But I thought it was going to be crazy. Like I thought it was going to blow my mind. But it was just kind of like a taper. Like just okay, here we go. Yes, but the ending of Legion People, was yeah. what I wanted. I understand. Emotionally to happen. I understand. We are not talking about Star Wars. But we are not talking about Star Wars. I'm not talking about Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> but the way that Legion... It's not a Legion podcast, okay? It's not a Legion it's podcast. Not. I'm sorry. I wish we did one, though. Uh, okay, so let's talk briefly about just the the colors of the rooms in this apartment. Okay, yeah. That's you. Go ahead. Because, first of all, I noticed that the bedroom color is, I think... An extremely pale pink. Okay. Like almost to the point where you can't even tell it's pink. And it maybe looks like a, a beigey white or something. But right. I do think there is a slight pink pinkishness. And then <laughs> the rest of the apartment uh, is just kind of one biggish room. And it's, it's a very light blue as well. So we've got like, you know, this pink and this blue... Um, which happen to be variations of red, yeah, and blue, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and well, that seems like it, it might be important for for some thematic things oh, as well. Yeah. Color theory, um, ladies and gentlemen. Oh yeah, we didn't even mention that. But there's so much. We did briefly. Color theory. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, but keep an eye out for future episodes, and when you're watching this show. For specifically the color green, mm-hmm. and or references to the color green, such as oh I don't know maybe somebody's character's name being Forrest. Honestly, man. <laughs> Honestly, there's just a lot of interesting things going on color wise. Yes. In this show. Okay, so um, and God. Oh, oh man, I'm blanking all all over tonight. Um, there's also this show. Is kind of the first time I've ever noticed there being a shape theory. <laughs> there is shape theory to this. There's there a geometric theory. theory. For sure. It's so weird <laughs> and new. And it's crazy. mostly, um, they're going to show these trees that we were mentioning before that they show in the montage with these ringed halos oh. of light are you gonna are you gonna say it or am i gonna say it <laughs> i'm just saying pay attention to uh straight things and round things facts <laughs> including lily's earrings yes the shirts they're wearing the patterns on the shirts the clothes that they wear the characters wear um the furniture the furniture the patterns on the furniture the flooring the walls yep it's generally everywhere. It's literally everywhere. I mean, for for in a certain place, it's literally everywhere. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it is the red room. <laughs> it is the red room. A so, black lodge, sorry. 
Um, they are having an interesting conversation over breakfast, Lily and Sergey. Yeah, you bring this up, but I don't know if this is as significant as you think I it is. I don't know if it's significant either, but it's an interesting it conversation. And at this point, I don't think Alex Garland puts yeah, I know, filler I know. in his script. I know. At all. I don't think he does either. But they're talking about, I know nothing about math. I know nothing about computers, and I certainly don't know anything about quantum computers. Well, she's talking about encryption, right? She's talking about something about encryption, and he is kind of arguing with her about it. And at some point, she's like, you're telling me, an encryptor, that you know more than I do about this, and I'm an, like, I work in encryption. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Interesting. But basically she says they're arguing about two different kinds of encryption, I guess. Okay. And, um... Yeah, like, there's a lot of talk in this show about different theories of quantum computing. There's a lot of this discussion. But she's basically arguing back with him that both of these forms are weak to attack from quantum computers, and they have the same weak point and are therefore equally weak. That's cool. What does that mean? I haven't been able to figure it out yet. Well, I mean, exactly think of, what it means. Think we can't just, really talk about it freely because just think about how think about how like I mean how he talks about that stuff. It reminds me of how like in element in like high school we would talk about comparing shapes to each other, like proofs. You remember proofs? <laughs> yes. So maybe you'd be given a problem of two triangles and having to determine how one triangle is congruent to another triangle so you'd be like well okay so this line is two times bigger than this line this line meaning that both triangles are congruent to each other you know so it's like it's like generalizing a principle that applies to two different to two things at the same time sure i understand what they're saying i'm just trying to double slit metaphorically figure out what they're saying double slit experiment that's later (laughs) i know i'm just saying okay so anyway they they're they both work at Amaya, they get on their little commute bus. Yep. Um, which also has a giant face of a little girl all over the bus. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> same little girl. This mm-hmm. is, these are not all different little girls. It's the same little girl. They get to the Amaya campus, and there is a very, very large <laughs> statue. Wait, did you say that there was like a like overhead shot over the trees, and then you, you see... can see the top of her head? Like you can see the top of her body. That her head is overlooking. And above all of the trees. Right. As the bus is pulling onto campus. And it is, you guessed it, the same little girl. Yeah. In giant statue form. (laughs) And as you enter the campus, it says, Amaya, your quantum future. As they pull into the entrance (laughs) to the campus. Yes. I just noticed that the other day. That it said that. Yeah. It's so funny. Um, Okay, so they get to to work. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. What? So, there is music in this sequence that I think is cool. Oh. So, I don't know if this is a good time to talk about. Do you have yeah. any more you want to say? Or we're moving on after I was this? just going to start saying her face is on the doors. Her face are his. Her yeah. face is on all of the screens. Her windows. face is outside the conference room. Her face is on the glass wall across from the conference room. It's This child's face is everywhere on this business campus. Yeah. But go ahead and talk about the music. Can I actually make a parallel that's interesting? Mm-hmm. You know the story of Veronica? Yes. So, for all those listening, um, there is kind of this story of when Jesus Christ was being was about to be crucified and having to carry his cruci- his own crucifix to the place of 
his place of death, essentially. Um, there's this thing called the Stations of the Cross, and I, I personally went to a Catholic private uh, elementary school, and we learned all about this. And one one part of the story of the Stations of the Cross is about this woman named Veronica, and how she I don't think she was related to Jesus anyway, just a person. No, nope, she was just a citizen. Kind. Yeah. As he was walking past all these people, she walked up to him, and his face was covered in blood and sweat and dirt, and she had a towel of some sort and put it on his face to clean off the grime, and when she pulls it back, it's his face. Uh, his face gets imprinted on the towel, and I don't know, that was just, that totally just sprang out of my head when we were talking uh, about this, uh, because her face is on everything. I, I, I dig it. Yeah. I don't know. I Interesting. But... In regard to the music during the, so during the point at which they get on the bus and the point at which Sergey goes into work and leaves Lily at the door, mm-hmm. um, throughout this whole sequence you're talking about, um, there's this music that is different. This is score music. This is actual scored music, yeah. as far as I as far as I know. Um, I'm just gonna read my notes again. The score enters again with violins playing a single pitch. This single pitch is followed by a female vocalist singing a perfect fourth above it, and this is followed by a sine wave tone playing a perfect fifth above the violin pitch. So again, we're talking about these low overtones in the in the harmonic sequence being very consonant, very, you know, just like stable, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, interestingly, the instrumentation, violin, voice, electronics. So it's almost like the entire spectrum of sound making in music if you kind of think about it um the human voice an object and electronics those are the only three things that are really used in music that's interesting in modern music i should say Mm -hmm. um and above this violin pitch the singer the sine wave there's this almglocken which is a specific word used to define tuned cowbells that's basically (laughs) what it is like and actual ding, like who cowbells. Who else would know this but you? All percussionists know what Almglocken is. It's like a famous <laughs> instrument. People love it. Oh yeah, you didn't mention you're a percussionist. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I play percussion at my school, but um, these Almglocken resonate at also very consonant sonorities relative to each other: perfect fourths, perfect fifths, major seconds, or minor seventh if you invert the interval, whatever. Blah blah blah. They're all playing in harmony. It's very pretty and tranquil, and there's a little bit of rhythm going mm-hmm. with the Almglocken. The kind of it's like people walking music mm-hmm. in a sense as the bus is seen going into the forestry from an overhead drone camera shot um and i wrote <laughs> in parentheticals reminiscent of the opening montage sequence in the shining which you didn't it mention totally is yeah the giant statue of amaya comes into view she seems to be watching the bus from afar dot 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 just creepily <laughs> so <laughs> as the camera focuses on the statue some of the pitches in the harmony that we are hearing shift up a half step to create this sense of uneasiness. At this moment, the soprano saxophone from the opening montage enters again. Um, with its thrilling motives, it's very and scary and very abrupt, um, creating utter dissonance among the once consonant scoring canvas. The Anglocken then proceed to combine with the timbre of the sine waves and strings to create a heavily rhythmic motive as the campus of the Amaya Company is shown on screen. And the music ends when Sergey and Lily talk right before Sergey goes into his meeting. So the saxophone is used almost as like an Amaya motive. That's kind of how I think about it. And think about the opening montage for a second. When do we hear the saxophone? When Amaya is shown. The moment it edits, the saxophone hits. And it's like, you know, it does that thing. So I like to think that Amaya is also like this dissonant, a metaphor for wailing sound. Yeah, is her motif above all this consonant 
nice music platform music. yeah i don't know Ooh, it's interesting that's very cool and it also is shown when the lights turn on in the opening montage that's true. very startlingly that one's actually scary that it one is. startles me every time it, it was startling um but yeah just like a little music nerd type cool. of notice yeah so she might have a motif i yeah i like to think at least in this first episode she does yeah, but then, oh yeah, that's another thing. Then her motive kind of becomes different and actually becomes very pretty. You know what I'm talking about? No, but we can't talk about that right now. Okay. Oh, all right. Because it's a spoiler. Jeez. We'll get to it, though. Okay. All right. So, anyway, the yeah, so they, Lily and um, Sergey part ways because he has an important meeting to get to. Um, so he's in this meeting with two of his coworkers, and one of them we've get to know her name is jen and she's actually very good friends with lily um but they are about to give a presentation to forrest and his uh basically right hand person katie Mm -hmm. and uh we come to find out that that sergey and jen and the other person they all work in the ai department yep and basically they're they are giving a presentation in which they have done a project that can it's cool <laughs> that, that can predict with i believe oh no it doesn't say that i'm sorry uh, it can predict what this very simple organism it's a nematode worm uh is going to do yep motion wise in like 10 seconds or something from a certain point of origin in time yes so they have figured out that they can do this but after about 30 seconds the system breaks down and then it's not predictive anymore. Yep. So, but (laughs) besides, that's like the text of the scene. That's what's going on in the scene. The subtext Oh, yes. (laughs) Here you go. This is how we should do it. We should do text, subtext, subtext, every scene. Maybe we should. That would take so long, though. Um, I mean, we're already an hour. I know. We may only be doing the first episode I'm okay with that. One episode. Whatever. We'll see. Anyway. Um, we haven't even gone to devs. <laughs> every single person in that conference room. Here we go. Is wearing. Here we go. <laughs> either stripes. Yep. Circles. Yeah. Some sort of circular design or both. Mm-hmm. And there's no in between. <laughs> Literally everyone. Or plaid. Like it's either straight lines and what's funny is I believe Forrest is wearing plaid. Like it is st- I think it, straight yeah. lines and that's it. He often wears plaid or green. He <laughs> does wear a lot of things. Um, Sergey is wearing stripes and also like a circular floral print design. Which so is... he's got both on. Jen is wearing pale stripes with a striking. Man, almost you remember like, this well, very well. <laughs> yeah, I remember it very well. Um, Jen is wearing paler stripes, like not quite as stark stripe design as the other guy is wearing mm-hmm. um and then these very pretty like almost mandala design circular design it is it is mandala it, yeah so can't be a coincidence i'm sorry it nah. just can't be and as they're having their meeting you can see amaya's face either um through the reflected on the glass or straight on, like, you can see her face outside the room on a screen. Mm-hmm. It's just, she's there constantly. She's all, her oh, face Amaya? is always, always present. I'm sorry, I kind of I kind of blanked out. Were you, were you just talking about the uh, Amaya print behind them? 
behind the I'm two, just saying, sitting on the you side. can see it outside. You can see it reflected in the glass inside the room. You can see it on the screen across the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this scene, particularly important, we are introduced to another character that's important. Um, Katie. Katie, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is Katie's first scene. Yeah. So, um... They walk in together, right? They are clearly... A duo. A duo, joined, like, joined at the hip. She's obviously his Nerd. right... <laughs> first lieutenant like yeah she's with at his side a lot mm-hmm. so the other um particularly s- subtextual thing that we thought was funny is Forrest is eating his lunch <laughs> and it is not only <laughs> so weird the way he's eating it, <laughs> it looks so funny man but he's eating it out of a it's like out of a little takeout container brown takeout container and l- all it looks like is greens it's just leaves it's just it's green leaves. and he's just guzzling this salad stuff. but not even like salad it's just lettuce it's leaves it's leaves and he's just constantly like picking stuffing up he's picking face. it up with his hands <laughs> so funny, and man. stuffing it in his mouth <laughs> and they're just kind of draping out of his mouth these long laughing uh, it's so it's hilarious that it's him too nick offerman just True. like eating lettuce it is <laughs> funny because like... the his other character was like meat only meat like, oh yeah meat. that's true <laughs> oh that's so funny he's anyway, hilarious man anyway they are making sure we notice that he's eating this green weird even salad. the green shade of the lettuce is bright yeah. it's so present it's like this is this has to be something it's bright green. i'm telling you chief okay anyway. So, anyway, um, the demonstration is over, and they're, like, at first they're very pleased, like, this is great. And then they're, like, yeah, well, after 30 seconds, everything goes to hell, and it doesn't work anymore. He's, like, why is that? Yeah, so um, they dismiss the other two employees, and they ask Sergey to stay behind. And you get the feeling that they're about to fire his ass, because honestly, I project something... failed, yeah. basically, in the end. But what happens is he um, actually promotes him. To the devs team. Mm-hmm. And immediately you get the feeling like this is big. Like this is a huge thing mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he has this weird reaction that we see. We see his entire reaction and it's very, it's like excitement and then it becomes worry and then it becomes stress. Yeah. And then he's like thankful. It's just like, whoa, like what just happened? He's in here? awe basically that he just got appointed to this team. But, yeah. oop, I forgot something that's Sub-context. actually very important in the text. Oh. Um, what? After the correlation fails, after about the 30 seconds where the correlation between the... Oh, yeah. Duh. The real worm and the fake worm breaks down. Yeah. Um, I think it's Sergey who says something like, well... It's a quantum it's, type problem. It's a quantum problem because um, it's, it's a multiverse, like... It's a multiverse issue, and he's like, oh. Forrest says, "Not a fan of the multiverse." <laughs> it's so funny, man, how this still plays so out. So you really think he's getting fired, like? Yeah, definitely. Um, but no, he gets promoted. So, um, the next day, he goes to a meeting. This is also our first time meeting Kenton, the head of security. So yeah. Sergey goes to a meeting with Kenton, head <laughs> oh. of security. And this scene, homie. And Kenton is not very friendly. Nah. And the actor playing him, who's I, ugh, I wish I had written down. Yeah, who actor, is this scumbag? I'm just he's kidding. He's really good. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. He looks scary. Honestly. But he look he it's so weird though because he looks like a nice dude. To be to honest. Me? He no. looks like he could be a friendly uncle. No. That's what he looks like to me. No, he does not. He's got the soft pudgy cheeks and his eyes are no. pretty round. What he do looks you mean? like he looks he reminds me of um No spoilers though. Huh? No spoilers? No, no, no. But right. he reminds me a little bit of Mike from Breaking Bad. Right. He's got that tough yeah, I as guess. nails look about him on his face. And his eyes are kind of bug-eyed. He's very Mike. And glassy. <laughs> yeah. And he just looks like he wants to kill you, basically. Yeah. So he's interviewing. I guess, yeah, that's true. When you look at it that way, his he eyes just are just He just looks like... real intense. Yeah. And the fact that he's interviewing, he's basically grilling Sergey. <laughs> grilling. As the head of security, you know, so you're, from, so you're Russian. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and you live with your girlfriend and your girl, Lily Chan, your girlfriend's Chinese. And the guy's like, well, no, she's American. I mean, yeah. And he's like, like, what? <laughs> Whatever. You're Russian. She's Chinese. I'm worried because I'm the head of security for this big company. I mean, that doesn't look good on paper. And he's just like, he, poor Sergey is just sitting there like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. My I don't boy. know. He looks scared to death. Okay, so that's the text of the scene. The subtext of the scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. This um, is the important part. Here we go. Okay, so we had a battle at our house about this. <laughs> okay. Because Colin was immediately, this is like, this is giving me huge The Shining vibes when... Um, Jack is being interviewed by Jack Mr. Nicholson is being interviewed by the boss that's Whatever about to is. hire him to yep. watch the hotel for the winter. Yep. Except for that... That's a nice conversation, a friendly conversation, other than the fact that he's talking about how somebody murdered his whole family. But, but yeah. It's right. a nice conversation. It's a normal job interview. Whereas this Even though is, it's a very weird job interview. <laughs> true, but it's at least, like, friendly. I guess. This is an intense scene. Like, you're like, why is this guy... Yeah. Interrogating. interrogating not really interviewing. Yes. That's it, what it is. It is an interrogation. Yeah. So... The boy. <laughs> My daughter, who is 16 and in high school and also has been taking a film studies class recently. Yeah. Immediately was like, this is Blade Runner. This isn't The Shining. This is Blade Runner. This is when they, at the very beginning of the movie, when the guy interrogates the, the, um. Replicant. Replicant. And he's. But he doesn't know that he's replicant until after the right. interrogation. And I was like, oh, Point yeah. to Delaney. Big facts. <laughs> it's definitely Blade Runner. But it's both. It is both. The I shot think. composition is The Shining. The actual, the the uh, the mood of the scene is very Blade Runner. Yeah. So we decided that it's both, but it's also just good enough to be tastefully different than either of the two. So the consensus is Alex Garland. Is, is good. Is, is king. Is, what is king. Alex Garland is king. He, he implemented his own, his own style within two very iconic scenes, which I think is bold. To just, like, use that and just be like, okay, I want to make it cooler. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's cool. It's very... So, yeah, so compositionally speaking, we're looking at... There are only two shots used in this sequence. There's the shot right on... What's his name? Uh, Sergey. Sergey. No, the other guy. Oh, Kenton. Right on Kenton. So Kenton's right in the middle of the screen looking right at the camera. And then we have Sergey right in the middle of the screen looking kind of off 
the camera. So it makes it feel like you're really getting badgered on by Kenton along with Sergey. I think mm-hmm. that's interesting. And behind Kenton are these windows that show you the outside, the trees and the sky. It's nothing but green trees. Nature outside. behind him. Even though it's gridded by the windows, which yes. I think is cool. Um, and then behind Sergey, just a blue wall. Cyan. Just cyan, blue, everything. Another pale, pretty, soft blue color. And he, I think even his shirt is blue. I, I don't remember. It is. I think it is. So, yeah, blue we see green. you. Yeah, we see you, bro. All of a sudden. Blue, green, red. Those three. Blue, green, red. Keep your eyes open for those. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. Cut to the next scene. Lily's working. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Her and her two friends are working mm-hmm. at their desks, at their computers, whatever. Looks so boring. And they start... <laughs> Lily and her friends start reciting numbers. And the third person in the office is like, "Ugh, you guys, could you, you know, basically like... <laughs> Shut up, man. They clearly do this all the time. Yeah, I think it's fun. I actually think I want to I wanna do that. You want to sit there and... I think it's cool. Okay, so me not knowing squat about math, I don't like Hey, math. man, I don't think a lot of people know i don't like so. physics i don't pay i i'm terrible at both yeah but of course colin who is a bit of a nerd about those things everything <laughs> immediately knew what those numbers meant that they were saying why don't you go ahead and talk about that oh okay it's my turn so well yeah it's numbers you know i'm not gonna talk about numbers uh okay for all those who i need to say this for all those who play call of duty and for all those who play call of duty black ops one the numbers mason what do they mean okay you're not gonna get that but that's fine someone out there's gonna laugh uh, so <laughs> these numbers that they are kind of taking turns reciting, the the game is that whoever can recite the highest number is the smartest. Just, you know, Yeah, it's a contest. Yeah. Playing a game. But these are very specific numbers. It's not like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. It's like 0, 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21. It, like, it, it goes up by a weird margin in between every number. And I'm so dumb. I was just like, oh, are those prime numbers? I don't know whatever well, some of them are but uh these numbers are part of this very special series of numbers and the series of numbers is called the fibonacci sequence and fibonacci a very very brief background of him he was a math italian mathematician italian uh, phil- philosoph and he was obsessed with nature as well as mathematics and wanted to combine the two so he went into research and found that there is this weird thing when you look at like spirals in nature, such as on a sunflower, or as part of that weird what's that vegetable? I always forget the name of that vegetable that oh, has it. Oh yeah, it's kind of like broccoli, but not really, or kind of like cauliflower, but not really cauliflower. I can't think of the name of it. Yeah, or the Milky Way galaxy, like all these spirals that we find in nature. He looks at it and he realizes that there's this very specific seashells. set. You never say seashells. Oh, seashells. That's the one I think snail shells. Snail. All these things that are like spirals. Um, how plants grow out of the ground, how leaves grow off of branches, how branches grow off of trees. It's just like, it's everywhere. And he went insane, actually. <laughs> just, <laughs> Did he really? Just closed himself off because he could not handle. No one back then could handle that type of information. That was crazy. But he found this set of numbers, and I, I was kind of just reciting it right there, and the characters were reciting the scene. And this Fibonacci sequence is kind of indicative of the formation of nature like if there was for all of you who are familiar with binary code zeros and ones if there was a code used to create nature it would be the fibonacci sequence and this talk of binary code will come back i don't think we've touched on that yet very important for the subtext and text of the show to be honest but 
this sequence, should I go into how it's created? And it's signi- the golden ratio and like how... If you I can do it briefly without making me... Well, I just explained it to you before this. Have a math seizure that I don't want to have. Yet. Right. So the numbers <laughs> go, as, as I'm saying, 0, 1, 1, 2. How you get the number... The, the, num- the sequence goes on into the infinite. You can just keep going. But the way Which to is keep, what they're doing in the scene. They're seeing that's who, the can, game. who can get the farthest. Recite the highest number without messing up. Yeah. And Lily wins, by the way. Yeah, Lily wins. Like tenfold. Yeah. Um, but these numbers, how you get them is pretty important. How you get them is you take the previous two numbers and then you add them together to get that number. That next number. Mm-hmm. So think about it. Zero plus one is one. Mm-hmm. So one is the third number. Yeah. 1 plus 1 is 2. So 2 is the fourth number. 1 plus 2 is 3. 2 plus 3 is 5. 3 plus 5 is 8. You see okay. what I'm saying? Yes. So is that making, do you think that makes sense that to makes the people? Sense. Okay, cool. So this Fibonacci sequence, the real importance about it, because you're never going to find those numbers in nature. That's not really like how it works. But how it is very special is if you take two adjacent numbers and you divide one over the other. So let's just say I divide... Uh, five over three, you're gonna get something like uh, I'm not good at division of odd integers, so I'm not gonna go into that. <laughs> but uh, essentially, as you grow higher in the number sequence, as you start taking higher and higher two adjacent numbers and dividing them by each other, mm-hmm. the pro the 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 answer you get every time to- every time is approaching the number one point six zero eight. That number, it's approaching it. That's the limit. At, at the infinite, that's the number that it's approaching. So we'll never reach that number. You'll never reach the number. But it's, like, numbers will be, like, 1.6089574, but it won't exactly be 1.608. You see what I'm saying? Yes. It'll always become closer to it and closer to it. That number is what we call the golden ratio. You know, it's a ratio, and it's golden because it's kind of, like, the thing that dictates all of growth in the natural world. And it's important. It is... <laughs> In my stupid brain, because I don't understand really the math of it, but it is basically the the math of nature. Life. Yeah, like actually, if you I I tell all of y'all right now, go online, look up examples of the golden ratio, and there are like things on how insect body parts relate to each other, like geographically in space, mm-hmm. how branches grow off of trees, how the dimensions of the human face. Mm-hmm. I mean, Michelangelo and That's how da Vinci I found out about it use the Fibonacci, the, the golden ratio to make the painting of the Mona Lisa, for example, mm-hmm. because her face is located right, right on that axis point of, on the canvas and everything is directed towards everything is even. That's why it's so perfect. That's, you know, like the classical era, the romantic era, all of them used this ratio. It's ingrained in our culture. It very much is. Music abides by it. The Overtone series that I was just talking about abides by it miraculously. I don't even understand yeah. how that's possible. And I'll just but, say this. They talked about... This was involved in Lost, too, by the way. I bet it was. <laughs> I mean, there, there were was, those numbers, you know. There were things going on in Lost that weren't necessarily in the show, but in the... Um, the... Um, like, ancillary material... I bet, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's huge, man. Like, it's used everywhere nowadays. But anyway, of course, me, I'm so dumb. I'm just like, oh, this means nothing. (laughs) It's like, 
Oh my god, it's a Fibonacci it sequence. It means everything. Like, uh, what? Oh. It is literally well, everything. Okay then. That's pretty cool. But the oh yeah, but I, I also last thing about it. The thing about it is it's a spiral, right? Mm-hmm. If you kind of like map out the ratio in the form of like shapes, mm-hmm. it creates this outgoing, growing spiral. But I've always I think it's very interesting to think about the concept that you never see the end of it, but you never see the beginning of it either. You always just see a snapshot of the actual spiral. You know what I mean? Deep. Very deep. That is deep. It's crazy. Okay. Anyway, all y'all Tool fans out there, let me hear you. Oh, well, and then you you actually composed a piece based on the Fibonacci sequence. This was years ago. I mean, okay. It was... It was. He disavows it now because it was very it was, early in his career. But yeah. he did. It was. But the name of it is so cute. It's called Fibonacious. <laughs> yeah. Such a cute title. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. Um, anyway. After they have their little Fibonacci contest. Yeah. Lily looks out the window and she sees Forrest escorting Sergey uh, down a very straight little bridge path. Lines. <laughs> A very straight path to his new job. And they're going to the devs headquarters, yep. which is set apart from the rest of the company. No one, like I said, no one is allowed out there except for people who work there. It's very top secret. No one's allowed to talk about it. Um, they actually had a conversation. We didn't talk about that, but Lily and uh, Sarah have a conversation about he's like, I can't tell, you know, she, she's like, don't tell me anything. I can't, he's like, I can't tell you anything. It's just, yeah, the way I know, it's yeah. Top secret. So, um, but the point is, they're walking down a very straight line path to Amidst get to the it. trees. Amidst the All vertical yeah. straight line trees. Yes. <laughs> um, so they get to the devs building, and all along the way, they're walking through the forest, and Forrest is asking Sergei, just guess. What do you think? What do you think we do at devs? And he's naming off all this ridiculous stuff and Forrest just kind of laughing at him. Yeah. And they get to this building that looks like a cement bunker. It does. Jetting out of the ground. With in a the... giant circle and line on the front. Yeah. It looks like a power button, actually. It does it's look like a power of... button. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. But it's in this field of golden... Grass. Dead grass. It looks like dead grass, but it does have like a golden hue to it. Which is interesting. Interesting. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. And then outside of the door are these gold literally golden, very, very high luster. Um again, like like stainless vertical shining. golden posts. And these are the posts we see one of them in the opening montage. That's the one we were yes. talking about. Yes. Briefly. That's true. Um so as they're walking up, of course, Sergey is like, what the F? <laughs> uh, and so they get to the door. They walk in the door. And oh, he's actually telling. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. We, you took notes on this stuff. Like literally word for word notes. He's yeah. tell- as they're approaching the building, he's telling Sergey, like, it's a lead Faraday shield. 13 yard thick concrete shell. A gold mesh. An eight-yard vacuum seal that's unbroken, and then the labs, and then the core of the machine. Fibonacci numbers. What's that? Those two numbers. 
our Fibonacci <sighs> numbers. I don't know if that matters. I'm sure it does. <laughs> and Come I should on, know dude. better being a Lost doing? fan. Every number is going to be a Fibonacci number, It's I'm guessing, probably. Yeah. Um, or they will add up to be a Fibonacci or number. Or something, yeah. I mean, 8 plus 13 add to a number. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, so they finally walk inside, and you hear this religious chanting oh. again. Oh, yeah, hold on. I have notes <laughs> about the music. But everything is gold. Everything. The lighting is gold. It's glass. It's straight lines. Just this t- golden hue everywhere. The walls are made of like, I don't even know what you could, it's kind of like a golf ball, but it's gold. Oh, yeah. yeah they, actually, they kind of look like. Type, like sound absorber panels that you find in like mixing studios and stuff like that, which I oh, think is yeah. kind of cool. Um, and I also, I, I genuinely thought that was all um, CGI, but it's not. It's bruh, a set. These people. It's a set. <laughs> these homies. All right. I took a very good bulleted note to describe this scene musically. Oh. That I have to read. Yes, go. Tranquil music is used throughout the scenes in which Sergei is inside the dev structure to highlight the masterpiece that is the set, the symmetry of everything, and the cinematography that we as the viewers experience as we see the golden structure. That is the scene. It is. I've heard um, writers writing about this show and using the word mesmerizing. It is so mesmerizing. When you're in the dev's lab... It is mesmerizing. And it's also, there's also this oscillating light that's yes. always circling. Circling, coincidentally. It's it's like it. off and on, and sometimes it changes color, the light. There's only one scene, though, that we've seen it change color, as that's far as later, I know. That's though, right? It's in the same episode, but. Oh, that's true, it is. Okay, we'll get to that. Yeah. But I've never seen, we've never seen it change color, though, since then. But anyway. everything is very boxy. It's all literally squares. It's literally it's a cube. It's all squares, homie. The lab itself is a, giant is a cube. floating cube. Mm-hmm. Which, you know... Magnets. Oh, okay. Magnets! Yeah, it's suspended in air. <laughs> I mean, I, I made the point that this is like Mecca. Yes, you um, did. Which is, I think, right to assume. I think it's very right. It's very squared. Everything. Um, but the way that they get into the cube, the main cube, is through a glass cube... That floats from the a, outer oh, door to the inner door, and then these glass, two sets of glass doors open. Yep. And that's how you actually enter the, the lab, the cube of the lab. To be honest, um, I don't think it's exactly a cube, though, the glass thing. I don't think it's actually exactly cubicle. It's not? Look cubey to me. Maybe it is. I'm, maybe I'm thinking about the bathroom that's jutting out, like, the side maybe. of it. That could be it. The bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, they get in there, it's all gold, it's all glass, it's all reflective, it's all cute. Everything shines off of each other. Except There's so much reflection. For oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The core of the machine, the central unit. The lighthouse. It. <laughs> it, it is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It dude. is a beautiful design. Whoever designed that That needs to be on t shirts. It's just beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's filigreed. It's gold, obviously. What does filigreed mean? Filigree is like a fine, um, like design in artwork that's very delicate and like very, it's very stenciled almost. It's just very delicate. Okay. Like I didn't if know that you was grabbed a word. it, you would break it. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the whole thing 
is a is a vertical it reminds me actually of the genesis device yeah no no no, dude <laughs> there's like Star so Trek many too. that's not yeah i but know that's much more mechanical looking this is much more like it looks it, like an art it looks piece. like a work of art yeah yeah i mean it literally reminds me of the lighthouse i'm sorry well the way that he stands there and just stares at it and he's like it's beautiful <laughs> and then he asks him how like many a- cubits is it running and forrest says a number that seems pointless to express as a number <laughs> Which is, I don't know if that's a nod to the Fibonacci sequence, but you could also Possibly. think of it as I that. mean, there's, they... The infinite is something important in They this talk show. about coding and qubits and all this quantum stuff that I don't understand. I don't understand qubits. I have no idea what a qubit is. It's... But... But it, they, when they do speak about it, they speak about it almost as though this is their religion. This is what they do. Yeah, man. This is what they worship. Whack. Um, so he says, you know, oh yeah, and then, and then... Sergey does say it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and he's standing there staring at it, like it's his god. Now. Yeah, dude. Which I'm sorry, you don't mind if I like add in parallels left and right, right no, when I see him. That's what I like. Okay, good. Definitely paralleling the scene when Jack is looking at the woman in the bathroom. Definitely paralleling that. He's okay. just like in disclaimer. Awe. Colin thinks everything is a shining reference. Dude, I'm just saying. <laughs> Can I just, you, I just asked if I could, and you said yes. Okay, I don't mind if you bring it up, but you also have to be ready for me to go, that's a reach. <laughs> what about this? What about this? It's, I mean, okay, true, Kubrick is not the one who invented that trope of no. just being mesmerized by, like, a woman or something like that, like, but it's an interesting take, and we've already seen multiple Shining references. I agree. So, he's taken, okay? He's, okay. he's borrowing. Okay. Anyway. Um... I'll come at you, bro. So he basically tells Sergey, you take nothing in and you take nothing out. You sit here, you read code. We don't yeah. really have hours. We don't <laughs> we don't acknowledge weekends. You work whatever hours you whenever you want to be here, you be here. It's fine. Uh-huh. So he sits him down in front of a, a monitor and he, here's your station. Um, he's also like, you can choose any station you want. I don't really care. Oh yeah, he's like, whatever, just <laughs> funny. Have a seat, and I think Katie comes over at some point. Um, um, Katie like looks over and looks at him. Oh, that's true. It is just. And for then him. later, she it walks is Forrest that says, "Just sit, read code, take your time. Yep, you'll figure it out. I know you will." <laughs> um, so he's sitting at the monitor again, just mesmerized, looking at this code. And he starts to look almost like he's freaking out. Something's freaking him out. And that's when Katie notices him and and looks over at him from her station. Yep. Um, And then we get the first shot of the cube, like, from below. Yeah. Like, from outside. A money shot is is. And you can tell it, it looks monolithic. It looks like a big old cube. It's gold. Oh, yeah. It's got squares all over it. Everywhere. Two dimensional and it's a cube. It's got windows so, you know, people can see out of it. But mm-hmm. um It kind of ro- the camera rotates and kind of comes underneath this like this what's the word? This kind of like s- sectioned off mini cube that's connected to the big cube. So it's another room. Yeah. Essentially. And so then it quick edits, like short edits to Sergey in I, I think at the at, at the moment of the shot happening we know he's in the bathroom I don't know well but, not yet it actually cuts to the machine 
which starts oh, that's to glow right. yeah. red all yes. of a sudden. Yes, it's glowing red, and then it cuts to Sergei at his station, and he gets up and goes to the bathroom. Yeah, that's right. To okay, get sick. Because he he's sick. freaking. He's freaking out. He's Great like got his hands over his. It's like he's clawing at his face, and he's he's just freaking he's out. Gr- he's such good acting, and he dude. gets sick. <laughs> it's like he's. It's it's a primal reaction. It is, yeah, definitely. Very primal. So he gets sick in the toilet. He like wa- washes his face off, and all of a sudden he starts like, he looks at his watch. Yeah, he like adjusts it a little bit. And then yeah, he adjusts it, and then he goes back out to his station. Um, and all of a sudden he's like sitting there, he's still looking at this code and he, uh, puts his arm up. Like he's got his hand on his fist, Mm -hmm. but the watch is facing the screen. Yeah. Um, that's when Katie comes over, over. stands up and they have a little conversation and, and he asks her like, is this code, (laughs) is this theoretical? And she says, no. No, specifically, this is important to me. (laughs) What? Katie specifically says, so Sergey's like, is this real or is this theoretical? Oh, is this real? And she says, and I quote, it isn't theoretical. She doesn't say it's real. (laughs) This isn't theoretical. She doesn't say it's theoretical. It's the in-between. There are so many of these weird in-betweens that's just like fascinating to me i don't know it's such a he's walking alex got on walking a narrow line yeah is what i'm saying to this it the script is fantastic top notch um but he says but then this changes everything and he looks like he's still panicked about it and, and he's sh- like this literally changes this literally, every single thing every cha- <laughs> changes every single thing and she says no if it's true it changes absolutely nothing Bro. Which is basically a major theme in the show. Oh, so big. So he kind well, of... Can I, sorry, can I build off of what you just said? Mm-hmm. The major theme of the show being this... The concept of the paradox. I'm noticing that there is so much of, like, paradoxical situations. With talk of, like, the multiverse in this episode. With talk of like something being nothing but also being huge at the same time mm-hmm. you know the Fibonacci sequence itself is also kind of a f- paradox because we can never see the end or the beginning so how can we say it exists you know what I mean mm-hmm. so there's a lot of talk <laughs> and eventually in future episode which I will not spoil there is the the paradox of all paradoxes actually used in a scene and drives an episode yes so this man is thinking about that. I, th- I for he sure. has to be for sure in order for him to pick that particular thing Absolutely. in that future episode. There's out. no question. Episode two has a paradox in it for sure. I mean, the giant statue of a little girl. There's a paradox giant right statue there. Of a little girl. Yep. Yep. In this episode, Sergey, what we were getting to, mm-hmm. also kind of a paradox. Okay. All right. So let's get to it. Yeah. He in a panic, seemingly. Yeah. Um, He's in a panic. He eats out of the building. (laughs) Big eat. (laughs) It's nighttime now by the time he leaves. The monoliths are black. The monoliths have now, they are no longer gold. They look dark, but the ground has been lit up with gold light, which is, it's so interesting. Right. That they did. I don't understand that. Beautiful. It's actually beautiful. It is, but I don't know how that works. And that's when (laughs) that cool stuttering music. Oh, I have it starts all right yeah yeah i have it 
Okay. You want me to talk about it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Well, wait a minute. The cool starring music. Does this start when he's walking? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I think so. I mean, we hear it before that, too. I don't remember when, but I think. But that okay. starts then. Okay, okay, okay. And that's part of the score. It's right, 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 yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this stuttering music. I actually didn't write about this stuttering music. I wrote about the stuttering music and how it changes when a certain something happens, which we're getting to. Okay, well, we'll wait then. Yeah, let's wait. But that part of the score, I love. It is yeah. so off-putting and unsettling. It's so weird, man. <laughs> oh, and the, the actual score composers. Um, oh, yeah, totally. It says music by Ben Salisbury yeah. and the Insects. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't think to uh, look them up, but I should, and maybe I will for next time. Yeah. To see what they've done and what, what that's about. Yeah. But anyway, he is um, going like, back <laughs> through the woods. It's dark. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the lights go on in and the middle of the forest. You hear the... It's just like, oh, jeez, every time. <laughs> and it's forest, standing in the forest. It's the scene uh, from the beginning of the montage. Yes, it's it's... Exactly that same shot of Forrest yep. standing in the forest as the lights go on. Mm-hmm. And um, it's about to get real. It's about to get real. Because we've gone from a somewhat it's kinda slowly paced. This is kind of weird. Meandering plot. Meandering. I would say, that's it. Yeah. Mesmerizing to a point visually where it's lulled you into this state of okay. Medi- it's almost medi- meditative. Meditative. It is. Medi- yeah. It's lulled you into this kind of a state. But Consonants of- in the music, for example. Yes. And now it we're about. It's all connected. To man. get the dissonance. Yes, dude. So cool. Uh, it's a. It's a jump scare when the lights go on and the forest is standing there yeah they so start many... having a conversation well calling it's it a conversation it's a monologue <laughs> oh, yeah forest starts to monologue yeah so the score just stops and then he just lays this out i am a huge fan of the monologue from oh, yeah. like out of nowhere i love that in a, in a play in a movie in a show i just love a monologue Ooh, really quick before you say it, I know you're gonna. You're I'm gonna just get gonna to read it. the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, she wrote it down, it's ladies the crux and gentlemen. Of the show. It, it is. It's when John Locke says, "You want to play backgammon? One is light, one is dark." It's John Locke's That's, explaining oh, yeah. the entire show at the very beginning of the show. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good, bro. Uh, okay, so what I was gonna say is that what? Or it was a question for you. Sorry, I'm blanking. Um, what is the word? Soliloquy. That's what I'm thinking of. It's almost like a weird meta soliloquy in that he's like talking to us. Well, a soliloquy, I think by definition is one person is talking to themselves alone. Oh, we're talking to themselves. Well, he kind of is, though. I feel like for Mm -hmm. part of it. It seems like he's just reassuring himself. I mean, he's talking directly to the audience. And Sergei and himself. But he's talking to Sergei like, this is the deal. This yeah. is Go what, ahead. This is it. what is actually Sorry. happening right I now. I was thinking I was picking up on something, but maybe it isn't as prominent as All I right. thought. All right, I'm going to attempt to read my really bad handwriting. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is as close to word for word as I could keep up with as I was writing. Right. Um, he starts, The universe is deterministic, godless, neutral, defined only by physical laws. In effect, is always the result of a prior cause. The life we lead with all its apparent chaos is actually a life on tram lines. Prescribed, undeviating, 
deterministic. I know it doesn't feel that way, Sergey. We fall into an illusion of free will because the tram lines are invisible and we feel so certain about our subjective state, our feelings, our opinions, judgments, decisions. You, oh, sorry, I couldn't read it. You joined my company, gained our trust, gained my trust. And this is like my favorite line of the whole monologue. Here we go. And then you stole my code with your James Bond wristlock. <laughs> yeah. I love that for some reason. It made me laugh. And then it shows Sergey's face and he's shivering. He's yes, just like, he is shivering and shaking this entire time. I am so done. <laughs> that would appear to be the result of some decisions, wouldn't it? About where you placed your allegiance. About who you would betray. But if we live in a deterministic universe... <laughs> page turn then your decisions can only your decisions could only have been the result of something prior where you were born how you were brought up the physical construction of your particular brain it's the nurture nature matrix exactly like the nematode worm in your simulation it's more complex more nuanced but still at the end of the day cause and effect i hope you understand what i'm saying sergey this is forgiveness. He puts his hands up, and he's like... This is forgiveness. This is absolution. You made no decision to betray me. You could only have done what you did. Yeet. <laughs> so not that with a yeet, man. <laughs> I'm editing that out. I'm just kidding. Sergey... Had done yeet. Has been made. Yeah. And, Rich. uh, yeah. He tries to ski-daddle. Mm-hmm. Um, but guess who's hiding behind a tree? Oh, hold on, wait, we got time with the subtext. What about it? There's so much subtext yeah, in that. What can we talk about that's not going to be giving anything away in the future? Okay. For example, I said he puts his hands up and he says, "This is not. This is forgiveness. This is absolution. You've not wronged me or whatever." There's already been this weird underlying, like under there's these undertones of Christianity being like a, a, a driving uh, yes, inspiration. For sure to this like weird techno cult in the forest you know what i mean and and honestly he looks like jesus oh yeah his beard and his long hair the long hair and the beard are very jesus like but he wears like t-shirts and jeans right <laughs> so but kinda... his face like yeah it's that not was too a, big of a absolute choice yeah definitely but that is again for people who are not too well versed with understanding christianity there's um kind of the story of Jesus in this garden when he is about to be taken by the Romans to on, to be put on trial for his crimes against the state and being a uh uh what's the word um a false yeah he's claiming to prophet. be god so yeah yeah yeah, false uh, prophet, yeah yeah and he has these people who kind of follow him who are his like lead followers on his team <laughs> in a way the apostles or disciples and there's 12 of them, and one of them is named Judas. And Judas, the problem with Judas was that he is the one who ends up betraying Jesus and kind of selling him out to the Romans, right, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And before Jesus is taken away, um, well, first things first, there's this thing called the... Pa- Sorry, this is, this, is, this is huge. This is huge. <laughs> so the... Uh, do you don't think people care about this? I might just stop talking. If you no, don't. I do, but like... 
Be succinct. Come on. I am being go. succinct, but I just realized something else. So before Jesus goes into the garden, he and all of his apostles are sitting at a table. It's called the Last Supper. And this Last Supper. And by the way, it, tomorrow's Easter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so woo. this play is big right now. Yeah, or not woo. I guess woo. Yeah, woo. <laughs> yeah, okay. Halloween. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So um, Jesus is like, one of you will betray me tonight. Right? Mm hmm. And uh, sure they enough, they all deny it. They all, they all deny it, including not me, Judas. Not me, everyone, not me. Yep. And then, of course, Jesus knows it's Judas, but he doesn't say anything. Um, and then, at the moment of him being taken away by the Romans, Judas is like crying, and he feels so terrible about what he's done. Uh, but Jesus turns around and is like, "I forgive you. You are absolved." He does. Yes, he forgives him right there. Does he? Yes, dude. It's sorry. Jesus, man. <laughs> I don't remember that. I'm sorry. Anyway, what the heck? But anyway. even if, okay, let's just say that's true. Um, when you go to confession as a Catholic, that's what confession is. Like you go to the priest. The priest literally says, I absolve you of your sins. Yep. Go in peace. It's a practicing, right? Yeah. In a sense. But yeah, it's literally. It's, it's absolutely. Cut and paste visuals. However, in this case. <laughs> well. Mm. What? Stick a pin in what you're about to say. Because right, I have I'm something not, later. <laughs> I won't say it, but... Continue with what you were saying, though. All right. What happens in the show, you mean? Yeah. Okay, so he tries to run away, and Kenton... And then you get the... Yeah, you get the scary music. <laughs> Kenton jumps out from behind another tree with a yellow... Interestingly, golden, it's... Okay, yeah, golden, I guess. Uh, plastic bag and asphyxiates Sergei on Ooh. the ground while Forrest... And Katie. Katie walks out. Katie comes out at some point. As if it's a meeting. As, as if, if they know a, what's happening. As if they're just like, yep, this is just every day what we do here. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, uh, Sergey is dead. I need to talk about the music here. But wait a minute. <laughs> okay. At that point is when you get the, the shot, shot oh, of yeah. Forrest standing in a particular way so that the halo of light around the tree is perfectly around his head also and looks like a halo. Yeah. So there is a definite paradox going on with Forrest being... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I brought this up yesterday. A Jesus figure. A deity, yeah. A god. Yeah. And also... The devil. Clearly quite evil. Yeah. Consonance and dissonance, baby! It's all there. Okay, let me talk about the music, please. I need to do it. Okay. Okay. This score is definitely my favorite one, I would say. From this scene, you mean? Yes, from this scene throughout the whole series so far, this is the one that is my favorite that we've been shown. Um, and it comes back, I think, in other episodes. I want to say it does. I can't honestly remember any specific situation. But, um, so, should I just read again? Yes. My notes, they're pretty much in sentence form. <laughs> As Sergey is getting murdered by Kenton in the forest while Forrest and Katie watch, the scoring consists of a terrifying, a terrifying quasi-ligaty wall of sound created by male and female voices bellowing out in combination with a static sound barrier, and then in parentheticals, the kind of sound you get when you turn the setting on of the TV to one with a static visual, where it's just like, yeah, um, yeah, that's all I have, dot, dot, dot. Um, set, dot 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 static visual that's a pun that you understand yes. right so <laughs> I don't um, mean to so, say that it's a reference but 
Can I continue? You mentioned Ligeti. I'm going into that right okay. now. Okay. So, Ligeti. Sorry, Ligeti. I wasn't... Okay, <laughs> that was my point. He is a composer um, who was around in the 50s, 40s, 30s, that area. And he wrote music that was very contemporary, very, very avant-garde, in a sense. In a sense. I don't want to use the word, but... Kind of. And he is known for a piece that he wrote for 2001 A Space Odyssey, directed by Stanley Kubrick. Well, he didn't write it for that. He just wrote it and then... Oh, is that what I said? Sorry. Yes, he wrote a piece. Sorry, let's start with this. He wrote a piece called Requiem for Mezzo-Soprano Choir, Cello, Trumpet. Or Cello and Trumpet. And this piece, if any of y'all have seen 2001, or maybe some of you, lucky enough, have seen it performed live. It's not often performed live, but it is. Um, features literally people bellowing. And then once in a while a trumpet blast comes in and then a cello comes in. It's just scary, it's man. It's scary and crazy and dissonant as all... As it's as dissonant as, as you can, can get. It's as atonal as you can get. It's almost like the pinnacle of atonality. And they're clearly mimicking that sound in this scene, for sure. Using technology, technological sounds, which I think is fascinating. Because, so it's. I mean, the show is about technology. I mean, bro, there's... I, we gotta, once we talk about what they're doing in devs, yeah. what they have, uh-huh. this is literally um, an aural representation of that. If you think about it, there's the static of the ah, yeah. with, but there's also, I, and, and let me continue. Sorry, I'm freaking out. This is huge. <laughs> this is so good. So This is what it's like to watch devs with us, by the way. No one wants to watch it with us. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, okay. We pause continue? it every five minutes and start screaming about things. Well, I didn't scream about this in the moment, but when I thought about it, I was like, like, this is like, it's so great. So good. Yeah. It's a metaphor for the show. So can I continue? Yes. So this sound is not only represent, does not only represent the terror of the scene, but it is also to highlight forests, forests, dichotomic trope as both God and devil. And I said, the binary to end all binaries, dot, dot, dot. I have a lot of like weird puns that I thought were funny to myself. Okay. (laughs) As this layer of sound churns and modulates through the sequence, a second sound is used to juxtapose the underlying layer of static sound, similarly to how the saxophone is used to juxtapose the quasi-static, quote-unquote, progression of the plain chant voices heard over the opening montage, how it's very consonant, very bass line, mm-hmm. and then you get this weird staggering sound, right? Mm-hmm. Only this sound is one that features a brutal and somewhat biting of a bassy sign tone with uber subwoofer power that is modulated to create somewhat of a swallowing effect, which I think is very good to describe that sound. Yeah. It literally sounds like, wow, like just over and over again. The sound is introduced each time with a punch that surprises the audience every time, increasing the horror of the scene. There. There it is. Awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I really wish we could play. I know, I know, but uh, but that's a good description. We haven't even gotten to the other book. We've got to get to the other book that Lily's reading. Like that's the very next. Thing. Oh jeez, <laughs> oh this is gonna be long. I know, I, <laughs> but there's so much in this show, you guys. We can't help it. Honestly, okay. so um, obviously Sergey doesn't make it home from work. Yep. And we see Lily in bed, and she's reading a book. Yeah, it's sad. And the title of the book is The Colossus. Uh, here we go. The Colossus is a book of poetry by Sylvia Plath. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual poem, The Colossus, is about someone who is 
spending their entire lives to maintain a giant statue. Yeah. Like, literally, that's what the poem is about. (laughs) Yeah, man. I shall never get you put together entirely, pieced, glued, and properly jointed, mule bray, pig grunt, and body cackles proceed from your great lips. It's worse than a barnyard. Perhaps you consider yourself an oracle, mouthpiece of the dead or some god or other. Thirty years now I have labored to dredge the silt from your throat. I am none the wiser. Scaling little ladders with glue pots and pails of Lysol, I crawl like an ant in mourning over the weedy acres of your brow to mend the immense skull plates and clear the bald white tumuli of your eyes. O blue sky out of the Orestia arches above us, O father, all by yourself you are pithy and historical as the Roman Forum. I open my lunch on a hill of black cypress. Your fluted bones and acanthin... I can't ever say this word. That's a weird word. Acanthin hair are littered (laughs) in their old anarchy to the horizon line. It would take more than a lightning stroke to create such a ruin. Nights I squat in the cornucopia of your left ear out of the wind. Counting the red stars and those of plum color, the sun rises under the pillar of your tongue. My hours are married to shadow. Yeah. That is the best line ever. That's cool. <laughs> no longer do I listen for the scrape of a keel on the blank stones of the landing. Um, yeah. Was that it? From now on, we shall refer to the statue as Colossus Amaya. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that we can distinguish between yeah, nice. other Amayas and the statue of Amaya. Ah, oh, very, very good. Okay. And so also to just establish the metaphor every time. We... Colossus Amaya. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I think that was the one that reference blew it up. that we were both like, holy <gasps> crap, <laughs> this show is a masterpiece. So um, anyway, she's reading this in bed as she waits for her now dead boyfriend to come home from work. Yeah. Right. Um, which obviously is never going to happen. So let's talk about tram lines because we finally oh. have had him say the word tram lines mm-hmm. all the time in the show connecting edits are showing roads mm. bridges there even is a tram <laughs> there literally is a trolley literally tram it's a trolley tram it's so funny man pathways yeah bridges you name it if it's a straight line pathway of some sort a road a highway they show it and the connecting edits between these scenes. Yeah. And he, you know, this is, this is what Forrest believes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. That. I mean, he was just, t- yeah, he's telling the model. Everything right? that happens is on a tram line and it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to stay on your tram line. Yep. So this is his philosophy. Mm-hmm. Everything has a cause and effect. Everything is deterministic. Everything has a cause and effect in that order. Mm-hmm. And nothing you can do can derail you from your tramline. Mm-hmm. The end. Like, yeah, man. That's what he thinks. That's how he thinks the universe uh, operates. Operates. Okay. Yeah, so cool. um, back you, to the. And you can ride a tramline as well. You can ride a tramline. Access a tramline quote unquote yeah 
<laughs> we also see a lot of intersections. They show a lot oh, of yeah. intersections of roads. But there are so many roads, man. <laughs> like, there are so many road yes, shots. It's not are. even funny. There are. And bridges. Yeah. Uh, straight lines. Yep. So we started talking, Colin and I started talking about this. Like, Oh, are we getting to this? This is, everything is a straight line. Yeah. To him. Yeah. But also, there are a lot of circles. Many. Circles. Many circles. We honestly aren't talking too much about the circles, but like, but I was they're saying, either there in negative space or they're there as like an obvious, like the watch, for example, it's like an obvious circle that's in the foreground. Yes, but most obviously are these halos of light. Oh, of course. Encircling the straight, straight, straight tree trunk. Of course, yeah. Um. So, <laughs> are we getting to my realization? Was I in bed? Was yes. I in, like asleep? Yes. Let me tell this. <laughs> This is all me, boys and girls. <laughs> so funny. I'm I am taking this at at the heartstrings. Okay, but I feel so stupid that it never occurred to me. But yeah, again, disclaimer: right. I know nothing about computers, and I don't like computers or technology. Okay, I'm hey, don't spoil all. it, bro. I'm okay. gonna tell it. Okay, go. All right. So what? Oh man, where do I start, man? Okay, so I was, I was watching, rewatching the first episode, I believe, <clears throat> and I was just sitting and thinking, like, okay. What are like so the Fibonacci sequence is important. What are other number sequences that exist? There's the Fibonacci sequence, there's I mean there's um oh man, I'm blanking on like all of them. But the, but one that exists theoretically is the binary sequence uh that is used for computers, binary language, which is literally consistent of the two digits zeros and ones. Zero 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 one zero 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 one one zero 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 one 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 zero 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 one 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 Okay. Flight of the Concord. Do they know that? Thank you very much. Okay. Uh that's my favorite song that Flight of the Concord. I'm gonna cut that in post. No you're not. I'm just kidding. So the humans are dead. Yeah, okay. Binary solo. What if that whole what if that song inspired the whole show? <laughs> Could be. All right, so get to the point. We don't need to yeah, know yeah, yeah. like every single thought that went through your head. I need to explain every thought that went through my head. This is important. <laughs> this is literally the whole show. I'm gonna call it this time hour fifty nine. All right. All right. I'm All right. sorry. So Colin always likes to yell at me on our other podcast about how we're getting too long. <laughs> I'm calling it right now. Two hours. Whatever, right woman. Out. So uh so we think we we talk about all these lines. We talk about all these circles. What are lines and circles? Lines and circles are ones and zeros. It's just blatantly obvious. It's blatantly obvious. <laughs> and there are you know the the scene the shots of these trees with halos around them is literally a one surrounded by a zero, a line surrounded by a cycle. It's also I'm not gonna get into it, but weirdly phallic. <laughs> so. I'm sorry, but like Freudian, you know, I have to look at it from that perspective as well. Sure. Um, life, you know, mm-hmm. like it's everything having to do with life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it's funny. Sergey's like, like this changes everything. This literally changes every single thing. It's mm-hmm. almost like Alex Garland saying, yo, look at everything, dog. Yeah. <laughs> it's attention. all the same, homie. Um, but yeah, all these stripes that we're talking about, they're lines, they're ones, all these circles. The earrings that we mentioned in the beginning. Um, They're circular studs, and then she has the one straight line stud up higher on her head. Yep. Yes. Um, it's everywhere. And once you notice it, 
you will not be able to not notice it. The line in the circle on the front of the devs building, the the inside of the building being surrounded by lines. Everything inside of it is a square, which is made of four lines, you know, intersecting. But there's also circles. When you walk in through the devs building, there are two circles that are very nicely. They know. face each other, and as you're literally about to walk into the lab, they're pieces of art, like they're carvings on the wall. Yeah, but they're circular. But they a look like eyes. Yep. So you're being watched. Yep. Totally. Obviously. Yeah. Um, but they are also circled. Yes. Uh, circles there. When when Sergey and his team are looking at the nematode under the glass, the circle is like on the screen showing the nematode. I don't know. I thought that was a cool mm-hmm. reference to it. Um, I mean, dude, there are like so many. I couldn't even. I can't even name them all. I actually. I yeah. Can't even no, think it's of them all. it's pervasive through the entire. It thing. is. It's almost perverse. <laughs> it's too much. And like almost. I said, once now you now that you have heard it you won't be able to not see nope it's everywhere cycles and tram lines that's all everything is to him and the show circles circles and lines lines and circles zeros and ones it's all binary code yep and i mean heck man it's a show about development companies tech companies of course (laughs) it's just so genius dude it's so genius so genius yeah um so should i keep going because we're almost done Sure. Are we only doing episode one? I think so. Okay. I think we'll. I think we have to at this point. Okay. Um, otherwise, it'd be a four hours long. But um, so back to the text of the show. Sergey never comes home. She wakes up in a in a panic that he's still not home. Um, she goes to talk to Kenton when she gets to work to tell him uh, Sergey never came home. I, this is very, very, very unlike him. This would not... This is just not something he would do. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, who says that? Lily says that to Kenton. Oh, she oh yeah. She reports him missing. Mm. So Kenton is like, yes, we're going to do everything we could do. And Forrest comes in in the middle of their meeting. And he's like, oh, this employee didn't come home. And, Sir, and Forrest is like, oh, you know, they're... Ugh, scum. Gross. Yeah, it's, they turn into scum on the spot. <laughs> it's bad. Um. So back at home, Lily dredges up one of Sergey's old phones, mm. and she tries to, you know, use get, her encryption skills. Use her encryption skills to to find out any information, like anything that she could maybe use as a clue. Um. And. She finds a Sudoku game app on the on this phone, or on, from his data, <laughs> and she knows immediately this is BS because he hates Sudoku. Also, and, you realize that Sudoku is literally just a bunch of squares. Yes, yes of course. <laughs> number sequences. Uh, it's probably why he hates Sudoku. It's random and doesn't make any sense. Ah, uh, he's a coder, so he hates that. <laughs> that's funny. Um. Anyway, so. She immediately knows something's up because he would never have a Sudoku game on his phone and she finds that it's password protected, which is even more suspicious. She tries like once and then realizes she only gets three tries or and it's going to wipe. So Dang. She puts a pin in that. Um also while they're at the while she's conferencing with Kenton about him being missing, he pulls up what is clearly fake security camera footage of Sergey leaving campus by on foot. Is it clearly fake? Well, I he's mean, dead. Yeah, but like Obviously, honestly, it's it's 
it's made they made it okay but in the moment of watching that scene i actually considered a like maybe that could be him i actually considered it no it's not him he's dead i know but I, man they, you don't know what to expect from shows like this okay they they somehow manufactured it real quick yeah um, but anyway, uh, there is a very interesting scene then of Forrest oh, yeah. sitting outside the devs' compound up against one of those gold posts. So he's sitting in like the dead golden grass up against this golden post, clearly looking distraught. Yeah, he looks pretty upset. Um, and Katie comes over to basically counsel him mm-hmm. being upset. And she's like, yeah, I know it's really hard. It shouldn't be. Um, and he says, no, it shouldn't. But what are we supposed to do? Uh, unravel a lifetime of moral experience That's and weird. unlearn. That's intense, man. That's un- thick. Yeah. Unlearn what has always seemed to be true. These things, they run deep. And, uh, you know, at that point, you're like, huh, what are we unlearning? <laughs> yeah. Wait. <laughs> wait. Uh, yeah. So. There's a method to the madness. That's when we realize that there's something driving that. Yes, there's why something they did going that. on. And what that whole monologue was about. So, and now I don't know if this is Katie or Forrest that says this, but it, um, I have it written down. It's like whatever we know these things we feel are still locked inside us. Um, human beings are hardwired, magical thinkers. You could have the most rational person in the world, but if their kid gets hurt, they'll start praying. Huh. And then she says, oh, I'm sorry, that was clumsy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So they're giving you... Oh, that's funny. ...very textual evidence of what the heck is going on. Yeah, that's very Forrest, textual, actually. I totally forgot about that scene. This little girl's face everywhere, mm-hmm. this giant statue of this little girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the last shot of the episode, <laughs> we'll talk about later. Um, so, yeah. Yep. So anyway... Um, <laughs> Colossus of Maya. Colossus Amaya is hanging around. <laughs> Looms very large. Yep. So anyway, um, so like I said, Lily finds this password-protected Sudoku game, and then we get a bunch of cutting shot, you know, connecting shots of city streets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she ends up somewhere we haven't seen yet, and we meet Jamie. Oh yeah! Yay! So we find out very quickly that Jamie is her ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And she played him like a fiddle. Who she like. dumped. Yeah. Quite suddenly, it seems like. Yeah. Two years prior. And um, basically, he is a, what would you call him? A hacker? But like... Uh... He has, he has a legit job. It's he is. A, no, yeah, he is. He No, he's 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 a uh, something security. He's, he's, he's like encryption security, I think. He like but insures. he's very good at hacking. Yeah, yeah. And she's basically like, I really need a favor. Uh, you're the only one that I know that's good enough to figure this out. And she tells him she had, you know, her boyfriend, who she dumped. I mean, she dumped Jamie to be with this boyfriend. Um, has disappeared, and she would like Jamie to hack into his Sudoku app to see if there's any evidence as to what what the heck is going on. Right. And Jamie literally says, "Oh fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. going to happen. Oh, we didn't you didn't even say what he says when uh don't we don't we see I don't remember all these scenes when like they're meeting up together get like 
confusing. I don't know where they are. Ever. She goes to his place of work. She asks him to go have a drink with her. They go have a okay. drink. Okay. She asks him to hack her the phone, and he says, no, I, F you. No, I understand. I just I couldn't remember where they were, to be honest. Where there's a very important component to a, a certain that's scene. That's later. Okay, yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, so basically, the, the ending of the, sh the episode, you see Colossus Amaya's face, and you see it light up. Oh, yeah, night. it's creepy. It's, at night. <laughs> it's just creepy, man. And it's as though there's a flame on the ground reflecting up into her face. Um and the next <laughs> the next thing you know, there is a it's a, it's a short sequence. It's out real quick. It's a short sequence, but um is it the next day? She I think, goes yeah. to work and they call her in. They call her in and they find yeah. Sergei's body burned at the feet of Colossus Amaya. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they call basically Lillian to identify the body and she of course beside herself. Beside herself screaming, yeah. but you don't hear her screaming cuz there's music playing. Wait, whoa, whoa, wait, whoa. Are you What about the what about the CCTV footage? That's later. Oh, it's all confusing. That's why I told you you need to review these episodes carefully because it's all going to start running together. You're sure that's later? Yes. Okay. I th could have sworn she sh shown that and then she runs out of the building. That's oh, what happens. you're right, you're right, you're right. You're yeah, right. what are you talking? Get out of here. Sorry, my notes were confusing me. Okay. Yes, there's a video of Sergei lighting himself on fire at Amaya's feet. Whoa. <laughs> um, Jeez, man. And they do make her watch that. But then she runs out to find his actual body. But that's when the 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 one with the, the music, music we've all been waiting again. for <laughs> the yeah. opening music Regnantum Sempiterna. Yeah, I can never remember it. Um, starts playing again. I have and, a note in there and here about that. That's cool. And then basically it ends with Forrest staring out the window at Colossus Amaya. And there's a picture, there's even, like, a picture of Amaya behind him, too. Like, it's just... There were. Oh, you're yes. talking about the ending shot? Yes. Of him looking up? Yeah, yes. Totally. Sorry. Yes. I'm getting a little tired in the brain. But, yeah, that one, that's, like, Colossus confirmed. Oh. Like, absolutely Colossus absolutely. confirmed. <laughs> Colossus confirmed. Yeah. That's what we should change this podcast name to, Colossus confirmed. Oh. Instead of decoding devs. No, decoding devs is, like, even the grouchy it, teenager upstairs said that's a yeah, okay. Can I read my note? Yeah. That I made? So, video of Sergey burning himself alive at the foot of the Amaya statue is scored by, you know, we just said that. This, I, I saw it as kind of like a reference to the burning at the stake of, like, Protestant people by the Catholic Church. Like, oh, he, um, I mean, yeah. So, so as to, like, he so sacrificed. as, yeah, so as to sacrifice them for their defiance against the church and the doctrine of the land, which is, like, literally why Sergey is killed. And he's laying at her feet. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, are bare feet. It's the, oh, yeah. the statue has bare feet. Of course, it's bare feet. <laughs> Her hands are. Oh yeah, we should talk about this. Raised in such a way that evokes um, a lot of Christian art. Yeah. Of the Virgin Mary, of Jesus. Uh huh. Um, Jewish art as well. And her dress is blue and white stripes. 
Yeah. Horizontal blue and white stripes. Mm-hmm. Blue and white are traditionally... The f- shade of blue, too. Like yes, those it's two. a very specific shade of blue that yeah. is very uh, evocative of the Virgin Mary mm-hmm. and Jesus. Uh, yeah, so yeah. we have our God. We think, we think Forrest is the God. But actually... Is a god but to the god. But <laughs> he is literally at the feet of mm-hmm. the statue that he's, you know, he's and surrounded himself with her face. It's also just really weird to think of them moving the body in front of her feet and he's standing there looking up at her like, this is my offering to you. Right. Type of vibe. Right. It's gross. <laughs> it's just it, really gross. It's gross, but it's also... It's a masterpiece. So compelling. <laughs> it is. But it's really creepy to imagine him just putting a body there, leaving, and just looking at it. I don't know, it's creepy. But um, I also made a reference to like the Vietnam War protests. When, like People would just like burn themselves alive in the streets. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um... I don't know. Just a thought. Monks. Yeah, and the monks burning. Yes, of course. But earlier, remember we were talking about Judas and mm-hmm. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Um, you you were gonna bring up something, and I told you to put a pin in it. I don't remember exactly what it was. But so Jesus is like Judas, I forgive you, and like all that. But Judas actually in the story in the parable ends up killing himself. Do yes. you remember this? Yes, that I remember. Hangs himself, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, with the coins, and it says in the Bible, I believe, mm-hmm. with the coins at his feet. Mm-hmm. And, like, if I if that ain't... Yeah. Like, but it's interesting. There's an, there's an added twist, let's just say, mm-hmm. at this point, on that footage. So it's like, Judas did this, so he did this, but... Eh, there's something else you know what i mean yeah. stylistically it's an excellent choice to add to the narrative mm-hmm. but dang dude like it's just narrative and there's it's just judas like totally sergey was literally judas <laughs> mm-hmm. very fascinating yep anyway. but instead of killing himself he got sacrificed yeah to the colossus <laughs> yes <laughs> yes so yeah so does that bring us out yeah that's the end of episode one. Oh, but that, that and then, yes, that music comes back, as you say. Yes. That exact same piece of music the as it started. Began, with. so it ends. I am the end circle. and the beginning. The, the alpha, alpha, the omega. The omega. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. so good. <laughs> it's literally. I just. We can't. We can't. And then the after watching that, and I didn't even pick up on half that stuff the very first time I watched it. <laughs> yeah. I but I still like, texted you, yeah, this is your new favorite show. <laughs> There's no question. You're going to love this. Yeah. And then, you know, the credits happen. Um, there's like the intro credits that like show the director's name and mm-hmm. the main actors, um, the producer, the editor, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, there's like the actual credit sequence, which is like a visual of what we see at the at the devs title card with like the weird machine the in the background. Machine in the background. And then the the credits are rolling. But during this credits, there's an interesting song. Do you think we should talk about that? Oh yeah, yeah, because they use it more than once. Right. So, I mean, I have notes here. So the episode ends with Regnantum Sepaterna as the credits begin. The official outro credits, however, are sung by a choir in a sort of messy chant. It's kind of messy. 
you know. It is. It's very messy sounding. That repeats over and over again until the credits are completed. Repetition and cyclic process is quite evidently a theme protrusive throughout the series already. What's so, the like, name of that song? I don't remember. I don't. The Fortunate Ones. I think it's oh, the yes, Ones. Oh, yes. Correct. The and lyrics are remember, weird. I don't remember the name of the choir either, but it's you can find it on YouTube. It's very interesting. And it's like, we are the fortunate ones who get to be whole. And it just repeats over and over again. Yeah. Um, whole, like a circle. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, it's it's. I listened to a few of their pieces. It's an interesting choir. Oh, Not, really? More than that? Oh, there's a whole album. Cool. Does it sound like that? Like, are they just yeah, kind of messy? Yeah, it's very underproduced. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. There's dissonance. Yeah, there's like weird. If I remember correctly, there's a Picardy third used in it. And for all those who don't know what a Picardy third is, which I'm assuming is everyone listening to, <laughs> a Picardy third is again a really old tool that has been used in music for literally centuries, and it's kind of this. It's a resolving tool, though. It is. Like, it's a cadence. It's a phrase. cadencing tool. Yeah. And what it is is when a piece is in the minor key um, versus the major key, so it's very solemn uh, overall, it ends with a major sonority on the one chord, the bass chord, the fundamental. So it's it's this weird, it's like a warmth all of a sudden that's mm-hmm. just like given to it, but it feels so good. Like, it's so cool. But yeah, in this piece, they're these weird out-of-tune Picardy thirds that like will come in. And it's uncomfortable, which is a cool take on the reason it was used mm-hmm. for in the first place. Um, I don't know. Just another music theory nerd thing. But, <laughs> like, I don't know. How does he find this stuff? I have no idea. I don't know. He's clearly a fan of weirdo music. music. history. He's got to be a fan of music history. Because later on, like, that piece that we just heard in episode seven. Oh, Steve Reich. Yeah. Yeah. Can we go with it? Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yes. We got a long road to home before we get to that one, though. Yeah. Two I'm also, episodes. I'm kind of afraid, though, to talk about Steve Reich because I feel like if I don't talk about him correctly, and if by some weird series of some... events, Dr. Jones hears it, then get to researching and type everything out just like you did on this one, which was nice to have. True. I'll have to do some research on that piece, but right. I've already done a little bit so already. So we got to get out of here because tomorrow is Easter, and yeah. I'm making my first Damn. ham. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Hopefully Yay. it'll work out. I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> um, so we have a an, a way to end every episode on our, our Unknown our Regions podcast Star Wars episode, but I didn't I did not think ahead of time of, of what our little gimmick was gonna be um, signing off. What should we say? Maybe you should just say uh, life is deterministic <laughs> at the end of everyone. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Oh, are we doing that? Everyone just remember, if you're on a tram line, life is deterministic. Nothing you do matters. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is a terrible way to end it. <laughs> we'll just say... This is like the opposite of a Picardy third. It is the opposite. Let's just say, um, sorry about how long this is, and we'll see you next time for episode two. Hold on. Social what? media? Uh, what? Social media. I don't have any social media for this, ep- this podcast. Right, but I mean... I have no social media. What about our personal Facebooks and Instagrams, man? Okay, fine. Um, My personal Twitter account is at FreyAdjacent. If you want to tell me two hours and 20 minutes is way too long for an episode, sorry. We've done longer, so trust me, I know. We have done longer. We've done longer (laughs) Star Wars ones. Um, 
I am also on Facebook. Uh, and have a personal account. Colin is on Facebook, has a personal account. And, and an he Instagram. is on I can, Instagram. I'll just oh, you go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on Instagram. Sorry, I'm so tired. Uh, Colin underscore MJ, the letters, underscore Whitlick. And that's Colin with two L's. And Whitlick with two T's and a C-H. Oh, my gosh. If you really want to hit me up. <laughs> no one's going to hit us up. Let's just <laughs> yell at us for two hours and 20 minutes. Whatever. Okay, so that's the end of episode one. Okay. Cause and effect. Next time we'll be doing episode two. Yeah. Is that a sequence? Is that a Fibonacci sequence? Uh, technically, yeah. Two is in the Fibonacci. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. And three. Thank you for listening. If you lasted this long, I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. Bye. Don't with this. Stop it, man. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Decoding Devs, an unofficial devs podcast. We have no affiliation with FX, Hulu, or anyone associated with the show. Our opening music is Regnantum Sympaterna by Jan Garbarek and the Hilliard Ensemble. Our closing music is Fortunate Ones by the Beacon Sound Choir. We likewise have no affiliation with those composers or performers. All of their art belongs expressly to them, and we are just here to discuss and appreciate. Once again, thank you for listening.